TARDIS cloister bell. Imminent disaster. The cloister bell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh, no. Hello, welcome to Cloister Bell Podcast. Uh, Liam, I think this this episode 108? Uh, yes, it is, yeah. Wow. Um, so today we're talking about Storm Warning, which is the very first Paul McGann audio drama. Uh, I'm Rob. I'm here with Liam. Hi, Rob. Hi, everyone. Hi. And today we've got a very special guest. We're joined by friend of the podcast, Kenny Smith. Hello, Liam. Hello, Rob. Hello, everybody listening from the comfort of home. Hello. Uh, thanks for joining today. We did ask you it was a long time ago it was months ago but you know these things uh yeah we're not very organized <laughs> takes a while real life happens it's fine yeah well we'd like to know a little bit about yourself um we're wondering um what's your first kind of experiences with doctor who oh blimey well uh my relationship with doctor who which sounds slightly dubious, uh, that uh, began in uh, it was around 1978 as my mum was a, a fan of Tom Baker and watched Doctor Who on a Saturday. And I can remember um, running to tell my mum, say, oh, that's your programme starting. And it was Doctor Who. So it was uh, my, the first solid memory I have is episode six of The Invasion of Time. So you're talking, I'd be about four years old when that went out uh, with the doctor getting K9 Mark II and dragging the box into the console room. At the time, I just assumed it was a box full of K9s, or, or sorry, a room full of K9s. So there was a whole load of them there as a K9 storeroom. Evidently it wasn't, but the memory cheats, as John Nathan Turner liked to tell us. And I stuck with it since then. I'm sure I had memories of it before that, but that's the first solid one that I have. And, um, yeah, I stuck with it, carried on watching through the rest of Tom's era, through the Davison years, Colin Baker years, not just the video, and the McCoy time. And then I joined fandom in January 1990, just as the show had finished. And I joined the Glasgow Doctor Who local group and made friends with a hell of a lot of people who are sort of still friends for life. It's quite bizarre how many... Uh, people that I met back in that time, I'm still actually very friendly with and uh, messages quite a lot. And uh, some, of course, have, I've come into contact in big Finnish circles as the years have gone by. Um, the likes of David Darlington went on to become a big Finnish sound designer. And Alistair McGowan's done the covers for the Dark Shadows range. So there's a, a few people uh, come out of there and um, quite a, a creative group that we had. Um, and Darren Scott, uh, he's gone on to edit SFX magazine as well, so he was another one of my pals from, from uni and quite scared of with my pals for 29 years. Very, very scary. So yes, I've been a fan since uh, 1978, so I think I can qualify saying that I know a thing or two about fans, fandom and Doctor Who itself. Brilliant. Oh, thanks for sharing that with us. Um, you got any questions for us? Well, I think uh, I'm always interested to know about podcasting and how everybody else does, because I've been doing a few podcasts and Doctor Who related content in recent years. Um, I 
been sort of co-host on The Power of Three, which has sort of changed and mutated as time went by. We started that three years ago with my friends Tom Harris and Dave Steele. And uh, sort of uh, the pair of them sort of dropped away and I carried it on and did an episode every week last year. God knows how. Actually, I do know how. I was on furlough two days a week. So I was able to find time to do an episode a week. Um, I also do uh, Peace of the Eighth podcast, which is I'm the Gan Centric one, which is great fun and obviously quite appropriate for today. And I also do Optional Extras, which is all about the character options, Doctor Who figures, where I chat exclusively with my pal, Alistair Dewar, who is the creative director of character and a big Doctor Who fan as well. Something I didn't mention earlier was that I had, I, long before podcasts, uh, back in the days of fanzines, I did an awful lot of fanzine writing and fanzine editing. Um, I was a co-editor in Paisley Pattern, which was the Glasgow Doctor Who local group and originally it was a newsletter but it became our monthly fanzine and I went on to do another one called Clifron with my friend Mark which is more sort of sci-fi fantasy based um, and then I did a thing called the Magazine, which mutated into the finished product but we'll come back to that later on and I was a James Bond fan and I did one called Universal Exports as well so that was good fun so I'm just intrigued to what sort of podcast you guys listen to that was a very long way of answering your question. I do apologise. Well, I just kind of got into Doctor Who podcasting when we started this. Um, there was very few that I'd listened to. I did listen to the Big Finish podcast, um, but I wasn't really too aware of what the podcasting landscape was like. Um, but in recent years, I've kind of discovered a few and we made a few friends online. So it's, it's been a nice, like a nice experience. Do you listen to many Liam, Doctor Who wise? Um, not not as not as many. I mean, the the, the ones that I do, I do listen to are the ones that you actually introduced me to, and they, as you said, that they've actually become friends of the podcast, and there's some really good ones. Um, but it was like you. It was I got into podcasting through um, when people, you know, other people were started to talk about it, and a true crime podcasts would tended to be the one that really. Um, captured a lot of people's uh, interest so i was i started with listening to true crime podcasts through other people's recommendations and and got got listening that way um i don't listen to many true crime podcasts uh, now i sort of dwindled off there but doctor who ones um i like listening to that there's a couple of history podcasts <laughs> yeah that would be controversial but you know it's sort of <laughs> And the biggest culprit of all was John Nathan Turner. Did he ruin Doctor Who or not? Um, <laughs> I think he, he unfairly gets a lot of criticism. So, you know, I just want to say I'm just joking. You know, I think he did do a good job. But, um, uh, but yes, yeah, so, so uh, and then, as I said, uh, history podcasts, there's some music ones that I listen to. So it sort of vary, you know, varies a little bit. I kind of find it hard Can finding the time, mostly. Mm. So yeah, that is, yeah, that is true. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah definitely I mean obviously I enjoy listening to you guys I enjoy uh, Sirens of Audio um, from Australia um, I, get, uh, I get a good laugh around the console because they always make me laugh um, particularly when they start swearing gratuitously so I'm not about to do that even though I might be Scottish but I'm definitely <laughs> not one to do gratuitous swearing unless it's for a cheap laugh and um, 
enjoy those. And I've, I've also discovered uh, the all-new Doctor Who Book Club podcast, which is good fun if you like your Doctor Who novels of any era, uh, original fiction. And uh, sadly, I've discovered that one that I've really enjoyed uh, has come to an end, um, Fiction Paradox, which was looking at the Eighth Doctor books and short trips. But sadly, that's come to an end, which is a real shame. Oh, right. I think it's um, it was a good listen, but sadly... It is no more, but there's still plenty of other ones out there. And um, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, we've, with Pieces of Eight this year, we've done 20, we did, we actually planned to do seasons of 13 and we just did a 13 episode season with 28 episodes, the last of which one is due to be released on Friday as we record, so that'll be September the 2nd. Um, and we had quite a good run as we had Mr. McGann on episode five, which was quite lucky, he was up in Scotland and my friend was doing the public relations for that and um, she, my doctor, and so she managed to sneak me in. So I had them, um, you're only meant to get 10 minutes with them and I get 22 win. Cool. Yeah, so that's I was excellent. quite pleased with that. And it was very, very good as well. So that was rather nice. That's nice. I've got to admit, I haven't listened to many of the Power of Three. I've kind of dipped into them here and there. Um, Pieces of Eight caught my attention a while ago. Um, there's not many out there that solely focus on the affinity for the Eighth Doctor. Um, and me and Liam, we did attempt kind of a fanzine a while ago. And, and I, I thought, I'll do, I'll do a segment in each one called Pieces of Eight. Um, so it kind of remind me of that. Uh, fanzines are great. I'm, I'm waving one at the screen now. So, but I'm sure we'll come to that very shortly. Well, yeah, with ours, that's how we ended up uh, getting around to doing this podcast, because um, Rob and I had this idea that we would do a Doctor Who uh, fanzine, but then we were talking about it and we thought, well, actually, the the market's probably saturated and we'd put this this thing out there and it'd probably get lost. So we were talking about it and I had I, I probably had too many grandiose ideas for it. And I thought, well, actually, what we'll do is we'll use it as a way of, we can talk about Doctor Who, but we can talk about old cult stuff. So this idea, you know, um, so we would review black and white films and we'd review comics and we'd review uh, the James Bond films because like you, Kenny, I'm massively into uh, into Bond as well. Um, We managed to do one issue, but I think because of this this grandiose idea that I had from it, it was very difficult to sort of get different people to collaborate with it. So it was pretty much all these things and Rob and I were the only two people writing all these articles and it got a bit much. So we did, (laughs) somehow we managed to cobble this one issue together. We thought, this is a bit insane. Uh, so we decided to kind of scrap that, and we thought, actually, why don't we just do a Doctor Who podcast? Uh, and you know, we kick started off, and here we, we didn't are. know what we were doing. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, nothing was rushed. <laughs> we didn't, because uh, yeah, the the idea was that uh, we would um, build up to Jodie Whittaker's uh, first season, which gives you an idea when we were started to talk about this and. Uh, um, so we would get a few things in just talking about Doctor Who building up to that first season would be fine but as you said Kelly before you know life happens and things get in the way so we had all these plans uh, but things kept on getting in the way and then by the time that we finally had the time to kickstart the podcast um, Jodie Whittaker's first season was upon us so we just had to dive straight into it and we had this thing of going well if we want people aware of it we have to watch the episodes review them and then get the podcast out there um what was it? Because the, the the episodes were broadcast on the Sunday. Did we try and get the podcast out on the Tuesday or something insane? It was, it was a, a very quick fast turnover, turnaround. and we yeah. were new to record and new to editing. 
just discovering how to publish a podcast. And at the same time, we were making notes each week and trying to enjoy the episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I think we've got a lot better since. Mainly through our relaxed approach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I noticed that, um, as I said in the, the message earlier, that um, you're, the fact you've got such a... I'd, I'd hope it's not spoiling the magic of podcast world to say that you're very well prepared with the wee schedule as to what is... Uh, to go through but um, yeah it's slightly more prepared than pieces of eight for we tend to have a script and it's just sort of like we've got the beats that we want to hit the, or the back of a um what's the back of a magazine or something but um or back of a cd but after that it's pretty much all improv so it, it's a, it's a slightly more chaotic approach to it so definitely very organized that reminds me i've just forgot to bring my Storm Warning CD, which I was going to read from. Never mind. <laughs> I've got, it's all right. I've got one here. Oh, we're sorted. Yeah. Have you got the physical got CD, Liam? No, no, just uh, just the download. Uh, uh, see, mine is so old. I've got original print, so it's got this bronze logo on it. And I've listened to it so often, the box fell apart. But that happened when I took it to America for listening. But um, again, we'll come to that later. I'll explain later to quote uh, <laughs> The Curse of Faith of Death. Now, uh, the 8th Doctor CDs, I kind of keep them um, pride of place on the shelf. Um, and all the others are mostly in the loft. So, yeah, recently I was reorganizing them. My wife's like, you've got way too many big finished CDs. But it was just the 8th Doctor. Yeah, yeah I the do pay that. I've got, uh, yeah, I've got my missing episode soundtracks. And I've got my 8th Doctor ones on the shelf. So the others are elsewhere. Where, but uh, yeah, the Doctor CD ones are to hand, but don't tell Colin Baker where some of his ones are in the loft. <laughs> Shh. There's just too many to display. I mean, yeah, it would be several, nice. So when you've got several hundred, I think it must be verging on the thousands by now for Big Finish. I've lost Ken's. I, I have gone digital with quite a lot of my stuff, but I still buy physical copies of all the Doctor things. Yeah. I was a bit concerned um, when digital started and was it going towards the stage where there was going to be digital exclusives and as like a completist I wanted it on my shelf so that was a bit concerning back then but yeah at this stage I don't care I just embrace digital. <laughs> got to, got to, it's the way forward apparently. I've had to do it at work through newspapers and such like. Could also just explain to everybody listening, I don't normally sound like this. It's just I've had a bit of a cold and it's gone to my throat and I sound quite deep and um, it's like it pushes me towards that movie voiceover type sounds. Um, I could normally do a Jadun or Dr. Claw from Inspector Gadget, but this has pushed me into a new territory today, but uh, I'm quite liking it. Sounds cool. Coming soon. The Cloister Bell podcast. Listen or miss out. Oh, I like that. That does sound good. That's the trailer <laughs> right there. We usually have a bit of a catch up at this stage. Um, so, what have you been up to lately? Have you watched anything? Seen anything? Read anything? Or been anywhere fun? I was last night at the theatre. I was watching Rock of Ages, uh, which has got. Uh, the block Curly Watts from Coronation Street in it. There, the last time I saw it, it was in Glasgow. When it was in Glasgow, um, 
it was actually the this the restart of the tour i think they just got a new cast and they were relaunching glasgow january 19 sorry 19 so it's how old i am 2019 and uh, after the show coming up the stairs there was jason hay gallery as he's a producer on it a big finish exec producer jason and bumped into him in the stairs so I had a quick catch up with him uh, but that was 2019 i didn't see him last night so done that and i've also been most tuesday nights i've been watching the ball and films at the theater at the cinemas and i did miss dying the other day to go and see rock of ages last night and it was bloody good sounds good so you've been going on the tuesday nights for the bonds yeah my local cinema has been showing them on tuesdays so that's been my thing. So I've, I've caught most of them. I've missed one or two when I was in holiday and such likes, but by and large, that's my Tuesday evening. I love it. That's cool. Liam's been going on the weekends, haven't you? Uh, yes, so the, uh, the local cinema that I've been going to has been showing them on uh, on Saturday. Uh, and I've, I've seen them all so far. Um, and I have been really enjoying it. I did manage to see Die Another Day, and uh, it's as, as bad as I remember it, but it's still immensely entertaining. So, you know, it, it does what it aimed to do. I mean, it's certainly not a boring viewing experience. And who can't love it, you know, when you've got uh, witty diners such as who who sent you, your mama? Oh, it's witty, witty stuff. <laughs> Did you say witty or was it something else that ends in itty? <laughs> witty, but, you know, not okay. serious. But, um, yeah, it was an awful lot of fun. There are good things about Dine of the Day, actually. Um but uh, it, by not, uh, yeah, it's probably the, the worst Bond film, but it is, uh, it is immensely entertaining. It's just a lot of fun. It's just bonkers. I haven't been out much. I've got a few weeks off work, but it's unfortunately it's when the kids are also off school. So it doesn't, I don't get much time to myself. But I have been watching Lucifer because I started watching Neil Gaiman's The Sandman on Netflix. Um, and I hadn't actually seen Lucifer before, so got me onto that. Um, just just at the end of the third season, I think. Um, it was getting a bit repetitive at some stage, um, but it's all right. I've never seen it. I've never seen this first, though. It's one that a friend's recommended, but I've just never got around to it. So I was thinking we could do a quiz later, but it's completely optional if you don't want to do a quiz, Liam. <laughs> or you, you could both go head to head. <laughs> yeah, we could do a quiz. Quizzes are fun. I do uh, like a quiz. I'm competitive. Yeah. You're really competitive. Yeah. I'm Scottish, of course. I'm competitive. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I've been doing is uh, I've been reading uh, Dominic Sandbrook's White Heat, which is uh, Britain, uh, 1964 to 1970. And uh, a couple of days ago, I was reading the chapter on on the World Cup that year, and it was, it was talking about you know how. Um, it was just, I, I can't believe it. it, was just the fact that, you know, when England won, uh, a lot of Scottish people <laughs> really didn't like it. They didn't want Sorry, did, did England win the World Cup? I, don't, I must have missed this. It's never, you've never mentioned it. It's no, a bit like it, the women in the Euros, it's like, you don't always think they, they've done something in it. It's like, for goodness sake. <laughs> <sighs> See what happens when you get home advantage. Yeah, well, that was the thing as well. It was, uh, in fact, that was something that was said uh, by a lot of people at the time. Just going, you know, uh, England was really pressing its its home advantage at the, at the time to a ridiculous extent. But it was like, well, of course you would. Why wouldn't you? You'd be silly not to. Um, but anyway, yeah, that was uh, <laughs> it's quite a fun chapter to read. It's just like, ah, oh, some things don't change. 
Have you read any Doctor Who lately? Uh, I haven't in a I've while. Read. I've actually just finished a Doctor Who book, which it is Bookworm, which is an unofficial look through the new adventures. And it was written by Anthony Wilson and Robert Smith with a question mark, not the one off of The Cure. And it's a very good book. It's sort of looking at this, what the, the authors see as the strengths and weaknesses of the new adventures. So I've literally just finished that uh, the other night. It's an American published book from ATB Press, who I think did books like Red, White and Who, Who Don't Treat in America and things like that, and Chicks Dig Time Lords, I think it was one of theirs. So it's a very good read if you like your new adventures and it's something that I've read through the wilderness years. So yeah, really good guide. And I disagree with quite a lot of their opinions, but they're very well structured and argued. So it's what, uh, what was the book called read. again? It's called Bookworm. Did they Worm find more strengths or weaknesses? I wonder. Oh, there's 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 a bit of both. I mean, they look at there's an awful lot of ones where they're going through and you think, actually, that's a good point. And some that some books that I really loved at the time and sort of like they're picking holes and thinking, mm, I think you're just sort of losing the fact there's meant to be a bit of fun in there. But um, yeah, it's, it's a good read. I had to get it on import from America, um, but uh, it's, it's a damn good read. And I believe we're doing a second volume on the EDAs. So I really look forward to that one. No, it's a good recommendation. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll check that out. Thanks Was for there that. more EDAs than New Adventures? Yes. Yeah, about 80 odd. Uh, yeah, there's... Mm. Um, hang on a minute, I can tell you exactly because I have a handy little list here. There were... You'd always think I was doing research for a podcast or something. There were 73 EDAs plus um, Fear Itself. And yeah, Fear Itself was um, listed as the Take. past Doctor range, yeah? Yes, but it's I call it Novel 43A on my little list here, as you can see. So With, uh, Why is it highlighted? Oh, you'll find it. And, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's great book. Great book. Mm. Yeah, that was a nice little treat because we'd already had the Gallifrey Chronicles um, earlier that year, was it? Then we got that extra one. Yeah, when it all came to an end and then, yeah, we got this other one set after um, Earthworld and it's a, it's a really good, I really enjoyed Fear itself, a damn good book. And um, yeah, I would recommend it if you haven't got it. And there's also an episode of uh, Pieces of Eighth which features it in the, the run that's just finished. So I would recommend going back and finding that one because we have a good chat with the author about it and uh, Nick Walters and yeah we had uh, sorry Nick Wallace not Nick Walters there's that's the confusing thing there's Nick Wallace Nick Walters and uh, yeah we had a chat with Nick and uh, yeah it was it was really good fun just to hear how we did it and there was a bit of retconning and things in there so very nicely done nice I've got a fair few of them but I don't I don't have seventy odd um, it would be nice to have them all. Make it a life goal. Complete the yeah. set. What's everyone's first experiences of not just Storm Warning, but Big Finish in general? Well, I am, um, because I've been reading the Benny New Adventures, having carried on from, because I was buying the Virgin New Adventures as Doctor Who books, and then when the rain stopped, I carried on because I love Benny. And then when Big Finish announced they were doing the audio adaptations, I was buying them in 19... 98 and carried on buying them when and then obviously they started the doctor range so yeah i've um i've been with big finish since the very 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 beginning and um never stopped i think uh 
these days you're lucky if a day goes by in my life where I don't listen to something produced by Big Finish. Or maybe you're unlucky. Oh, you're definitely unlucky if you're my wife, but uh, <laughs> okay. I'm to put up with all that. But, um, but yeah. That's cool. I don't, I've only got a handful of the bennies. Um, uh, I did ask Lisa at an, at an event and she did recommend one or two and sign them. But um, yeah, I've, j- I've just maybe got half a dozen in total because by the time I got into Big Finish, they were doing the Doctor Who range and you have to kind of prioritise sometimes what you buy, yeah. Prioritise? You buy everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Liam, what's your first experiences with Big Finish? Um, I can't quite remember, actually, which is a bit funny because it, it's, it's a lot more recent uh, because when Big Finish started doing... I wasn't aware that they had started off with the the, the Benny uh, Benny Summerfield stuff. Um, so when they started releasing Doctor Who uh, audio adventures, that's when I became aware of them. And I knew Rob that I think you started buying Big Finish quite early on, but this was when we were still in school and still kids and relying on your pocket money and stuff. Um, so didn't have really much of a disposable income. So when it came to Doctor Who. I had the choice of, I mean, one, I've always been a very keen reader, so I was naturally drawn to the books anyway. But um, but because also you know, when you're relying on pocket money, I thought Big Finish was a bit too expensive for the price. So I think for the price of like one Big Finish, you could buy two Doctor Who books. And at that time, it was uh, the BBC books. So it was the Eighth Doctor Adventures and the Past Doctor Adventures. I've still got actually some of them. Um, first one I, actually, the first one I got was a Christmas present. It was Matrix. Uh which is the Valiard is Jack the Ripper and it's the Seventh Doctor. And I remember enjoying that one an awful lot. I've got that somewhere still. Anyway, um, so because I was, you know, made that choice of drawn more towards the books, um, what was the first? They made, I don't know whether it technically it was Big Finish, but I think it was released on Big Finish, but I think it was through the BBC. You know, the Colin Baker story, Real Time, with the that Cyberman. That does count as an official Big Finish race. Oh, yeah, yeah. It it's right a right? special so release number one, I believe. Oh, okay. yeah. Well, uh, in that case, that was my first. Uh, that was my very first big finish, and I thought that was I thought that was really good. But I was listening it through the BBC Doctor Who website, but I thought that was great. It was Colin Baker uh, with uh, a new companion, and I, I really liked that dynamic. And they really made uh, the Cybermen uh, a threat, and that whole thing of you know going through the cyber conversion. They really made that horrific. You know, as it as it would be if it was a real thing. I remember being really impressed by that. So yeah, that would have been, yeah, that was my, that was my first uh, big finish experience. It's funny you mentioned that you you thought oh, you could get two books for the price of a big finish CD, and I still have this like mentality where when I'm out shopping, if something's a fiver, I think God, I could get a big finish for that. So I kind of <laughs> use a big finish CD as like a unit unit of currency. Oh, hang on, wait a second. So, uh, if I got, hey, look, I've got space age. Oh no, you can't see that. <laughs> it's invisible. Anyway, censored. <laughs> yeah, it's it's blending into the TARDIS in the background. Um, Five ninety nine. Wow. Wow. Yeah. The space age by Steve Lyons. That's the one. Yeah. 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 Good book. Mm. Mods and rockers in space. <laughs> Gosh, yeah, they're going to movie voiceover again. Yeah, that was a, that versus was, rockers. Space. That came out twenty-two years ago. I remember buying that from W. H. Smith. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. 
I have to ask, how old are you guys? This is going to terrify me, I know. Um, uh, You're welcome oh, to guess. Oh. I should never guess a gentleman's age. <laughs> uh, we're both 35. Oh, you're about fetuses. <laughs> That's all right, I'm for. I am 48, so, yeah. Well, if you want to put oh, it in Lord. Doctor Who terms, we're, uh, we're just slightly older than season 24. You look better than season 24, though. Mm. Oh, thank you very much. We're in this grey area. Like, which, which group of fans do we sit in? But we, we were aware of the show, clearly, since the early 90s. So, you I like repeats, yeah. it must be. Uh, BBC shop VHSs. Yeah, I, I got into Doctor Who in 1993. Their closing down sale was great. Still uh, got loads of Doctor Who merch in the loft from that. Oh. <laughs> uh, in Elden Square, which is a big shopping centre in the uh, middle of Newcastle. We used to have the BBC shop. Hidden away uh, in a corner. It was amazing when I discovered that. Yeah, it was amazing. It, was to, it lasted quite a while. I think it closed in 1998. Um but it lasted years, and it was every all things BBC. But obviously, a big part of it was was everything Doctor Who. And I remember, you know, you would go there, you get posters, books, key rings, the uh, the Dapple figures. Got a few oh, mugs from there as well. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, we did, yeah, with the diamond logo. I got the '96 logo and the Seal of Rassilon, still boxed from there. <laughs> wow. Mm. Actually, I'm sure I've still got... Uh, because when it was uh, closing down, I got a whole load of free stuff. They were just like, well, you're Doctor Who nut. Have all this. Uh, and um, got a whole load of posters just thrown in my direction, which was great. And uh, what, one of them was... It was the regeneration. So the BBC was sort of updating everything, um, the, the branding of Doctor Who. So they did that with the, the TARDIS in the uh, sort of like a pinky... Spiral Votex thing. Yeah. The I've got the press release from that. That was uh, June the 2nd, 1997, that that was all released. I only know that because yeah. we did a podcast on it, plug, plug, uh, when we talked about the rebranding and uh, the launch of the BBC Books. So, yeah, we did a 25 years of episode uh, with Steve Cole talking about how it all came about, and that's terrifying. Oh, I need to listen to that then, because I think that'll be a good uh, best for the past for me as well. Yeah, so I got that poster, and I had uh, there was a TV movie poster from the year before. Um, yeah, so I got a whole load of freebies for, for, from that, which was which was nice, including uh, a Doctor Who calendar, I think, for '98, and it had a, it came with a cassette, which I've still got from Slow Dazzle Worldwide, which was an interview with Paul McGann. Uh, no, no, uh, Peter Davison. Sorry. Um, uh, which was great. I should get a cassette player just to try. Maybe we convert it as exclusive. I just put it up as a podcast so people people can listen to it. But yeah, slow dazzle. God, they did. I remember them doing their calendars and everything else. Mm. Little desk diaries. Good God. Yes, I've got. Hang on, I'm going to uh, switch off my background on Skype so you can see this because it seems right. to be blocking everything out. Oh, it's, hang on. There we go. Oh. There we go. And it's. Oh. I remember that cover, but I didn't you ever hear the interview on it. Yeah, and this is tape two. So the must the secrets of Doctor Who tape two. So there must have been a series, but I've only got that one. Um, yeah, the Peter Davison interview, conducted by Paul D. Schofield. Did it reveal any secrets? 
Uh, at the time, it did because uh, for me, it was it was quite a. I mean, it's quite a, a short interview. I think it's probably overall twenty minutes or something like that. But because um, at the time, this you know, th there was very little. You know, you, you were reliant on information from from stuff like this if you wanted to hear Peter Davison's views on on Doctor Who, and the, you, know, you were hearing his opinions on the story and how it was perspective sets and how they were, they were doing a scene which, without much rehearsal. So at the time, it was kind of you know new to me. But because now we've got all the DVDs and the Blu-rays, it's you know it's old hat now. But at the time, I just thought I just thought it was really interesting, uh, and that's what I was trying to show you before Space Age. There you go. Oh yep. yeah, very good. That's the reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder type thing on the cover. So first experiences of Storm Warning, Kenny. I'm guessing you were in the big finish by then, obviously. Oh, absolutely. So it didn't pass you by. Um, it most definitely didn't. I was eagerly anticipating because episode one of Storm Morning came free with Doctor Who magazine on a disc with Last of the Titans. And I think it might have been this issue 300. I might have been issue 300. Could be wrong, maybe something like issue 250, something like that. Uh, I think it and was because the illustrated um, piece of art um, was in issue 300. There you go. How's that for a memory? Um, but yeah, I was really excited because it came with episode one of Storm Warning, but it didn't use the new David Arnold arrangement of the theme tune. And I was really, really excited when I heard about that because I'm a big David Arnold fan. Um, and I was a fan before his Bond work as well. I bought the Stargate soundtrack and Independence Day. And uh, I think the first time I'd heard his work was the Bjork song Play Dead, which is still one of my favourite bits of music ever. Um, so yeah, I was really excited when that came out. So I heard episode one and the DWM disc, brilliant. And then was, because I'd subscribed to Big Finish by this point, I was sent in my 12 month subscription and uh, I was waiting for the post every single morning before I went to work. And then finally it came through because I was holding on as long as possible before the postie came and uh, brought through my storm warning in that white padded envelope and I still have the CD here, um, slightly battered, but uh, yes, it's uh, very well loved. And uh, I actually put it on my car CD, well, I don't actually have a car CD player. I had a Discman, which I plugged into through the earphone back and plugged it in in my Suzuki Vitara so I could listen to it. And I had to drive really slowly so I didn't go over any, any bumps because then the CD would skip. And I listened to Storm Morning, the proper version with the theme tune, episode one on my way to work. So that would have been January 2001 and absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. That's good memory. Um, we'd had a lot of Eighth Doctor stuff before that. Of course, we had... A few little things like the Radio Times strips, um, mm. the Doctor Who magazine itself, um, and of course the EDAs. Um, do you have a favourite? Oh, would it be the audio? There was the short trips as well. Sure, yeah. Um, big finish short. There was the short trips. Tell us novellas. Earth and beyond as well. Oh, yes. They're, yeah. they're, they're, strangely enough, pretty much most of these have been covered in Pieces of the Eighth podcast. Plug, plug, again. Um, do you have a favourite? I think, listen, I mean, I think the big one was hearing Paul McGann again in Earth and Beyond when he read Three Short Trips, Bounty, The People's Temple and Dead Time. And I think just getting to hear McGann sort of seeing new lines as a doctor, that was really the biggie. 
And I think it was during the recording of that that Steve the producer and uh, BBC Books and Short Trips editor mentioned to Gary Russell that McGann has had a great time doing and he's been up for doing more and I think that's what set the wheels in motion for Big Finish to contact his agents to say oh we'd probably be interested and the answer came back in the positive and lo and behold we've got Storm Warning, Sword of Orion, The Stones of Venice and Minuet in the Hell is our starter for 10. So about yourselves what was your first experience of it? I didn't have many of the monthly ranges, uh, I think maybe the odd few, and it was probably uh, maybe in 2004 when I really started grabbing all the uh, all the McGann monthly ranges, um, like in anticipation for the new series. Um, so I was getting them all, binging them all. So I've got like all of the um, Doctor and Charlie ones, um, which I was I was I was really enjoying there. Um, but it was when did they come out? Was it two thousand two? January, two thousand and one. Two thousand one. so I, I was yeah. a few a few years late, kind of really investing my time into those. Um, but uh, yeah, really enjoyed them. I enjoyed it so much that it actually inspired me um, to start doing findings again because I'd I'd sort of stopped doing them in the late nineties and. Um, I loved it so much. The the whole the whole first series of um, of McGann's, and uh, because I wanted to know more, and I knew Gary Russell, who was the producer then, um, sort of through friends, and had met him a couple of times. And I think he liked me because I was cheeky and but respectful and liked his work. And um, so I decided I'd do a fanzine about the making of because I didn't think that DWM did enough uh, to cover the making of them, considering we were getting effectively a new season of Doctor Who. Obviously, there was nothing on TV at the time. So I went off and used various contacts, got in touch with the likes of Gary, um, Alistair Locke, who was doing the music and uh, edited the theme, Clayton Hickman, who did the covers, and then the writers, Alan Barnes, um, Paul Mars, Alan W. Lear, who I took a while to find. I knew he lived in Edinburgh. I had to go through a phone book and was phoning all the Lears in Edinburgh until I found Alan W. Um, and so got did all these interviews. Let's say I was a journalist, so I was quite used to interviewing. And uh, the result was a fanzine called The Magazine. And this was basically just like a making of that first McGann season. And um, you can see there in the back cover there, there's cover art, so there are cover roughs. And there's, you might notice that Sword of Orion cover has a different Cyberman on it. Uh, it's a um, tomb type rather than an invasion type. And there's like Clayton, Hitchman, Clayton Hickman sketch. They were originally going to do four covers that made up one bigger picture. Oh, wow. Um, so a whole load of stuff like that. Um, and I even got old of India Fisher for a chance. Um, I, I was just sort of... I found it, you know, I contacted her agency, which would be up for a chat, and um, we got on really well. We're, sort of, we're similar age, and I think she's she's like four months older than me, and um, and we just we just clicked straight away and had a had a laugh on the phone doing an interview, and um, yeah, it was it was really it was really quite good. And um, yeah, now that we're sort of both parents, and um, our conversations have moved on from our nights out and things that we've been to to go out clubbing and such likes to what it's like being a parent. So yeah. Unfortunately, we've had to grow up a little bit, but uh, there's still that underlying sense of silliness. It never goes away. So I think we're barely just getting started, but uh, yeah, we're still in the introduction segment of the podcast. <laughs> um, 
yeah, I think that one of the problems with me and Liam is we could be here for hours. So um, we need to remember to kind of move on. So um, I think that's our introduction done. I'd like to mention we've got a eighth doctor word search and memory game on the website at cloisterbellpodcast.com. And we've also got a quiz on there as well. Just 10 questions. So we'll see. We'll do that at the end of the podcast. Um, I'll read the publisher's summary for um, Storm Warning. So, October 1930, His Majesty's airship, the R101, sets off on her maiden voyage to the furthest flung reaches of the British Empire, carrying the brightest lights of the Imperial fleet, carrying the hopes and dreams of a breathless nation. Not to mention a ruthless spy with a top-secret mission, a mysterious passenger who appears nowhere on the crew list, a would-be adventurous destined for Singapore Hilton, and a Time Lord from the planet Gallifrey. There's a storm coming. There's something unspeakable, something with wings crawling across the stern, thousands of feet high in the blackening sky. A crew, the crew of the R101 brace themselves. When the storm breaks... Their their lives won't be all that. Uh, sorry, when the storm breaks, their lives won't be all that is at stake. The future of the galaxy will be hanging by a thread. Do you have a favourite format um, of story? Four episodes, two, or uh, a one-parter? I think it always depends on my mood. Um, if I'm sort of if I know that I'm because I, I do quite a lot of walking go out for a walk and uh, obviously what else am I doing if I'm doing a walk um, and if I'm going for a shorter walk then I quite like the like the Lucy Miller type format with the you know 45-50 minute episodes but if I'm going for a longer stroll then I absolutely love something like Storm Warning to listen to just to get that you can get that fuller story and get just a little bit more in terms of plot and character um, but I, I mean to be honest Storm Warning is just my favourite Big Finish, which I know that I'm not supposed to have favourites um, doing Vortex or Big Finish, but it, I, mean, it's, I, have, I did say to you guys that it was the story that changed my life because through doing that fanzine, um, I carried on doing it over the years after I sort of did a second issue of it and then took a wee break. And then when the Lucy Miller audio was come out, that was like, wow, my Big Finish love was reignited. And um, from that, I got to do the big finish companion and sadly after Paul Sprague passed away I was asked to carry on doing the in-house magazine Vortex so really um, because Storm Warning had got me all fired up and reignited my love of Doctor Who not that it ever sort of the flames had dampened but it just made them burn brighter and um, so it, it genuinely changed my life the fact that I've got to do these things and I've been invited to conventions and obviously coming on to chat with you which is lovely as well so just these wee things um but I think it's I think it's an absolutely perfectly formed story uh, I think Alan Barnes and yes what he did with this one is incredible I think the structure of it is great it's the fact you've got the first two episodes going at a hell of a pace comes down a little bit for episode three as we get a bit more backstory and then episode four boom we're back to breakneck speed again what about yourselves am I Am I too twentieth century with my love of a four-part story? But I think I think my t- t- taste, because funny enough, uh, Rob and I recently have been uh, reviewing some of the Fourth Doctor adventures, which are supposed to slot into season eighteen, um, and we have 
you know, obviously we have our preferences. Some stories we think are okay, and some we have really been enjoying. But one thing that we we have said is because those stories are uh, two half-hour episodes. And one thing that we sort of agreed on is that although you know the, the stories are, are fun and, and and quite decent, we feel that it it it, it it's too compacted. So uh, coming to to this one, uh, having listened to uh, those Fourth Doctor ones quite recently, this felt uh, just much better structured. Yeah, and it doesn't drag and, on its pace pretty well. Yeah, I mean, as you said, Kenny, I, I think you, you know, the first two episodes are a really good pace and there's, there's a lot going on. But because it's that, um, you know, trying to structure it like classic Doctor Who TV series, it's, you know, it works. Uh, and I do quite like that structure. I just say it really depends on your mood. But of of the Big Finish audio stuff that I've listened to, I, I kind of I do prefer this sort of structure. Um, you did mention the, the Lucy Miller stuff, um, which is, are they maybe 40 minutes to an hour, some of them, or something smaller? Yeah, they're usually about 50 minutes, um, 50 minutes to an hour. It's the yeah. usual sort of length for the Lucy's. And they're quite easy oh, easy to digest if you don't have much time. Um, yeah. Sheridan Smith, my future second wife. My first wife knows this. <laughs> <laughs> She's uh, a very forgiving woman. <laughs> Oh, she has to be. She has to be. <laughs> it, the Eighth Doctor range, it's one It's one kind of thing that does kind of reinvent itself a lot because the Sheridan Smith stuff was a change in format, I guess tailored for radio as well. Um, yeah, they're kind of uh, one-episode stories. And then we had another change in format from Dark Eyes onwards. And... I think that that was probably my favourite. I, I kind of settled into that format really well because that was what uh, one hour, maybe give or take an hour um, stories, but it was all like a four-part series. And uh, I think that's my favourite format. Well, the four-part box set, mm. yeah. It's, it seems to become the, well, it was the the McGann format there for a wee while with the building up to 16-part arc. But that's yeah. changing from later this year where we're getting... Six, or it was three CDs in a thing, and you can get a mixture of a two-part story and a one-part, or as in fifty-minute mm. type episodes and such like. So, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be mixed up. So, who knows what's coming? Well, I do obviously, but uh, I'm not going to spoil things because mm. then I get into trouble and get sacked. So, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> uh, fair enough. We'll let you get away with that one. It's not all going digital, nice is it? Oh no! Oh no! So onto the cast and crew, um, of course, the Doctor, Paul McGann, uh, Charlie Pollard, India Fisher, Lord Tamworth, Gareth Thomas. He's done some audios as well. He had done, I think he'd done Dalek Empire by this point, as the first series of that, um, where he, in Nicholas Briggs's uh, spin-off series, where he's playing Kallendorf, a knight of Vilishar. And he's very, very good. Uh, trivial fact, the first weekend I went down to meet my my then, well, she was my, my girlfriend and then became my wife. Um, she Jen lived down in Salisbury and I went down to visit. And on the train back home, Gareth Thomas was on it. And I was chatting to him on the way back up. So, yeah, that was kind of cool. Oh, you lucky thing. That's lovely. And how was he? Nice to chat. He was brilliant. Yeah, I interviewed him years ago. He'd come up to Edinburgh because he used to live in the Scottish borders and he'd come up to Edinburgh for a day and we'd had a fan day with him and uh, sort of chatting about Blake Seven and such like. And mm. um, 
he was a lovely, lovely guy. Very, I, I mean, in the 90s, I could drink, but oh, I couldn't keep up with Gareth. He was a legend, an absolute proper, a proper actor's actor. He could drink me under the table. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that, but, you know, <laughs> that's great. It is one of the things, because I'm a big Blake 7 fan as well. And I, I would have loved to have, I know that, you know, Michael Keaton's still around and one or two of the others, but I would have loved, you know, Paul Darrow obviously being one, I would have loved to have met Gareth Thomas. So, you lucky thing. Great, that's it. On a train. Yeah. Not an airship, thankfully. <laughs> no. My claim to fame is that I, uh, I saw... Giles Brandreth on a train once. He's my favourite Tory. In fact, he's one of the few Tories who I really like. But uh, yeah, it was yeah, it, Giles Brandreth. Yeah, yeah. He, he, uh, he, he'd just been coming down from uh, the Edinburgh Festival, and at that time, I had my own personal Twitter account. So I did this thing of just going on, seeing you know, I've just seen Charles Brandreth on the train. Um, he saw it and said hello, and I went right, okay. He's opened the gauntlet here, and he was only sit, uh, sitting a few seats behind me. So I went up to him, and he went, "You're Liam, aren't you?" It's like, "Yes, I am." So I had a chat, and that was quite nice. And he was, he was telling me about, you know, how he just come down from, um, uh, from Edinburgh, and he he just done a special just a minute, and he was explaining to me to what just a minute is. And I know what just a minute is, <laughs> but he thought, you know, obviously being a young whippersnapper, I was completely clueless about it, but. Uh, <laughs> That was quite nice, but yeah, he is funny. I just say probably one of the decent uh, decent Tories. <laughs> I don't think I bump into anyone. Oh, it's my life. I just bump into people all the time. It's ridiculous. But that, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into that because we'll we'll be here all night and uh, we've got plenty more to get through before <laughs> yeah. before this evening is out. So Lieutenant Colonel Freelin by Nicholas Pegg, Rathbone Barnaby Edwards. Chief Stewart Weeks, who for so many years I thought he was called Wicks. <laughs> by Hilton Collins. Written by Alan Barnes, who had also wrote the Eighth Daughter, Eighth Daughter comics, I believe. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Right, starting with Endgame. Brilliant. Music by Alistair Locke, but of course the theme tune by David Arnold. Um, it, it's brilliant. It's one of my favourite versions. Yeah. Now, all these years later, murky and industrial, and I just love it. It's I've got it as a ringtone of my phone, so it's uh, always a good one to have. Yes, yeah, so it's not hyperbole. You generally do love it. Yeah, absolutely. It's mm. it's. I think it's a great theme, and um, I, I really love the full. I think it's like two and a half minute mix that you could get on music from the Eighth Doctor Audio Adventures. Uh, from Big Finish and uh, Paul McGann signed them if you got them at the time and a physical copy so as soon as that was available I was like I'm having that and um, yes it's uh, still it was, do you know that until this year that was the only Paul McGann autograph that I had so uh, it's like uh, I finally when I spoke to him and did a podcast chat with him uh, I finally got a proper one personally signed and I'm not really an autograph collector or anything like that but I made an exception for a doctor but beyond that I'm not a big collector of them but yeah, it's a great theme. Absolutely brilliant. Murky, industrial, and yeah, it's very distinct. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I'm just wondering, do you happen to know how they uh, got David Arnold to, to do it? Yes. I think that it was two approaches. Um, I think because Mark Gatiss knew him from working on when Randall and Hopkirk deceased. Mm. And also... I love Karen his arrangement Russell of Randall and Hopkirk, yeah. Oh, it's great. 
um, and I love the end theme as well, sung by Nina from the Cardigans. Um, never fade away, something like that. God, I haven't listened to it in years. Um, There's yeah, a few good faces in that as well. Tom Baker, David Tennant. David who? Yeah. He was that Scottish guy, of course. I remember him now. Um, but yeah, Gary was interviewing David Arnold for Rolling Stone because he was a big fan of his work. And he mentioned that he'd just been asked to do a version of the Doctor Who theme. And Gary sort of said, yeah, I'm, I'm the guy who sort of asked Mark Gatiss to ask you. And uh, so that's how it all came about. Oh, OK. Uh, it's all in the McGansey. Good job I've done my revision. <laughs> I've always wondered that because I do think it's like, it's like one of the cool things that because it's like, like you, um, I've always really loved his stuff. And yeah, I was aware of him through Independence Day and Stargate, but obviously definitely through the Bond films as well. And now and again, his his name would would crop up. Uh, I know later on he you know he was involved with Little Britain in it, but as you said, um, uh, the Randall and Hopkirk deceased series, which I don't think had a lot of a uh, lot of love, but I remember really enjoying that series at the time. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really good. And I just thought it was something of a coup that big finish, you know, uh, especially because this is quite early on in its run, and I just thought it was you know it was, it was quite a coup that they they got David Arnold to do a version of the Doctor Who theme. Yeah, and at first that, when I read his name, I thought oh, that must be some other David Arnold. Yeah, it's just a yeah, just a coincidence. But uh, it is it is a very good uh, version of it, uh, and it, it's it's very much its own thing. And I think it um, it actually uh, really gets you in the mood when you when you're listening to it and the way that it opens up. And you know there is there is a sort of like a, a dark edge to it, but it it does get you excited. It, it's a uh, this very good version, and it still kind of holds up, which is interesting because it's not like a very fast-paced, upbeat piece of music. Doesn't compare to the TV version either. Yeah, both very different. TV movie, the TV movie theme doesn't really. Uh, it's quite different. Yeah. Uh, there was an interview with um, John Sponster on a particular podcast I can think of. Um, God, what was it called? Pieces of Eight. That's right. Season three, episode one. And he spoke to us about his work on arranging it. So that was a good lesson. I can actually tell you, just now, I've literally just had an email from somebody who works on the TV movie who I've been trying to get hold of for an interview for ages, and uh, he's up for a chat. So I'm really, really excited by this one. It's not anybody who's in the cast, uh, but uh, yeah, somebody whose work was still lauded today. But uh, find out soon. But I'm really quite excited. So that's why I'm grinning. Stay tuned, as mm. GND would say. You'll be surprised and delighted. I'm awful. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's a good opportunity to plug it, and you've got me interested. Oh, I'm gonna, oh yeah, I'm gonna be keeping an eye on that. I'm wondering if it's Jeffrey Sachs. Uh, it's not. No. It's, oh, it's, okay. This person is in um, Vancouver right now, so um, I will. I'll message you later and tell you who it is. But um, just keep it keep it under your hat, even though you're not wearing one. Yeah, will do. <laughs> Thanks. Sorry, I go off at some divergence. You can tell I've enjoyed the divergent universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in Doctor Who magazine, 300 Lee Sullivan did a piece of artwork, a tie-in for Storm Warning. Are you aware of that, Liam? No, I wasn't. Uh, uh, when uh, you sent the, the link to that uh, earlier today, it was the first time I'd seen it. It's always nice having a bit extra, like, visuals to an audio mm. story I did actually send Liam a fan animation of a scene 
and my reaction was I had no it was just out of the blue I had no idea it was storm warning related I was like what the hell is that I think the heads were a bit out of proportion for the bodies. Just a tad. It was it was the stuff of nightmares, really. And I'm assuming you're not talking about the Fourth Doctor Hornet's Nest Adventure by Paul Mars, the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> no, that was a that was an accidental reference. No, it wasn't. I'm very obscure. I know far too much. Please don't kill me. I've seen that. It's very bizarre. Clearly, a lot, a lot of work bizarre. went into it. Yeah, and it's, it's, yeah. I, I enjoy some of the fan creativity because somebody did a an equivalent of a tele snap archive reconstruction of Andrew Smith's Domain of the Bird, which was on YouTube for a few days, and then it was pulled down because the obviously the infringing the big finished copyright. It's a shame because it was genius. It was absolutely brilliant, really, really good. So I hope it might resurface one day. Now that the story's been out for a few years. But um, oh no, I did love this art. I used to love the Lee Sullivan previews. Really, really good. Beautifully, beautifully drawn. And I'd love to own one of these originals. Mm. Maybe I should ask him one day. Mm. See what he's got left. Because I would love, particularly the Storm Morning one. Mm. You shall see. So on the subject of animating Big Finish, I know it's, it's a thing that comes up a lot with fans. But personally, it's not something I really have a need for. Because... You know, it it is being an audio story. It's not a half measure of a story, and you know, I I like the imagination of it. And like, for example, looking at some fan animations, it kind of contradicts the visuals in my mind as well. I agree. I I I mean, I think that they're they're stories for the imagination, stories for the mind. They're movies for the for the ear, and um, I mean, there's been some really good ones that've been done. There've been some really, really awful ones that have been done, and um, but I still find them all hugely entertaining just to see them. Just the, they're never like anything like we would imagine. And somebody I think did a opening scene of with the Doctor and Charlie and the Tardis from the time of the Daleks, which is it was actually quite entertaining. It's, it was quite crudely done, but even just watching the time water going up and down, it was it was quite nice to see. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was crude, primitive, but it was still entertaining. So would you like to discuss the stories? I have done a brief breakdown. Have you got anything to say about the stories in particular? Or shall I just kind of take take you through them? I'm quite happy if you want to go through them. I have got the, the listings here if you want them. Oh, Let's yes. the, the uh, Yeah, that's what I was going to read out. Oh, you've got yours there handy uh, as well. Yeah. I was going to, but no, I didn't bring it. Ah, uh, well. Would you like me to do Storm Warning Part 1? It's, it's great because it's got here, it's like the little like Radio Times rectangle, or sorry, triangle in the corner going, new. The Time Lord returns for a new series of adventures in space and time starring Paul McGann. Storm Warning, part one of four. It's 1930 and the airship R101 takes to the skies. But why is one of the stewards acting so strangely? Who is the unusual passenger in cabin 43? And just what is a 1960s police box doing on board? I did that bit movie trailer. I do apologise, but don't apologise. That sounded great. <laughs> yeah, that sounds exciting. I think that's the great thing about these listings. I mean, that's very much um, what Gary, I think Gary Russell wrote those, but it's very much in the style 
of John Nathan Turner's Radio Times listings where it just asks questions. It does tell you it is, it's very like the Davison years ones. And it's just all questions like, who is Monarch? Why is the spaceship coming to Earth? What are the Urbankins? That kind of thing. And it's very much in that style. Um, and I think it is a, it's a rather nice wee teasing introduction to what we get. But it, it certainly works. Such... I mean, I've suddenly got an urge to, to watch Four to Doomsday now. <laughs> Things they never say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's um, Storm Warning Part 1. It's... I think the pace of it's great. And I, I mean, I, I, the fact that we get the doctor talking to himself at the start, who cares? We've got new Paul McGann. Yeah. Um, and he even makes a bit of a meta joke about that, about talking to himself. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's fab. It's, it's quite great. And just the fact we get introduced to the Vortisors early on and you know we can hear the sound effects and it pretty much sets the scene for what we're going to get and um, setting them up and... Um, it's, it's a, I mean, that whole, whole pre-credit sequence is great. It's so easy to visualise in that wonderful console room. And um, I absolutely love it, the fact that it's it's quite pacey. When the story arrives, we get a wee bit of a lull when the TARDIS materialises. And very soon, um, the Vortisaur is coming through. Obviously not been named at this point as Ramsey. Um, and we quickly get introduced to a whole load of fantastic characters. We get the the class structure of the time on board the R101. That brilliant little bit of semi-newsreel like, footage with Mark Gatiss doing his 1930s newsreader. Mm. Um, and it brilliantly sets the scene. I think it's a very clever shorthand to set us up so we know where we are, what's going on and such like, and where they're going in the see you all in Karachi, that sort of thing. I think it's a very, very clever uh, piece of writing. I think, uh, as I said, I think Alan Barnes is an absolute genius with this. It's, Considering it's his first audio script, he is just absolutely on the money. Captures the Doctor, and uh, and if you don't love Charlie from the moment we first meet her, then you've got no soul and deserve to die. Quite frankly, how is that for a hot take? Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I think I totally agree with that. I think um, having um, some, you know, with an audio adventure, having uh, someone eulogising to themselves, just talking, you know. Um, to have that to work is actually quite difficult. I think um, there's, there was a BBC radio audio adventure called The Ghosts of Endspace, uh, which was written by, yeah, Barry Letts. Not great. I liked uh, Paradise of Death. I thought that was very good. But Ghosts of Endspace, and th there's loads of, of bits in that story where Sarah Jane's talking to herself, and it doesn't work. And Barry Letts later said that he made a mistake with writing that. It just doesn't work. So if, if anyone wants to listen to that story as a, as a way of going, that that's having someone talking in an audio adventure which doesn't work. This is the complete opposite. It does work. And as you said, Rob, there is that bit of a meta joke, but uh, you know, it, it didn't really need, it's delightful, but it didn't really need that. I thought that, um, I thought how it was written uh, was, was incredibly good. And obviously Paul McGann really sells it through his performance. It's just, this is great. And um, uh I'm not as familiar. I know I've said this before loads of times, Rob, but I'm not as familiar with with Big Finish Audio Adventures as you are. And I have uh, listened to one or two Paul McGann ones, The Chimes of Midnight, which I really like. But it's been such a long time. It was this was probably what I probably felt how uh, both you and Kenny felt when you listened to it. You know, back in the day when it, you know roughly when it first came out. 
because uh, this was the, a bit embarrassing. I bought it ages ago when Big Finish were doing a sale, but this was actually the first time I was listening to it. So a bit embarrassing if we come to it this late on. And I'd be, uh, and it's just, I know Kenny's shaking his head, and quite rightly so. And it's just like I've lost. I, I should have been listening to this years ago. It's such a delight. But getting back to it, I think that introduction is great. I love, uh, you know, the Doctor going through his book collection and sorting out his books and talking about all that and. Uh, uh, his copy of Agatha Christie signed, but the, the the last page is missing and and all that. But then establishing the, it's just great. You've got you've got Paul McGann as the Doctor back, and you just go, it, this just works. It's great. The the tone and the feel and the soundscape, it it just works. And you know you know and you just know it's like right, we're in safe hands. This is going to be a really good adventure. It's a phenomenally good introduction. Yeah, and the sound design's so good, uh, especially when we get this like establishing mm. shot of the airship as well which is quite grand and we've got this visual from the front cover which helps yeah i think it's all set up really well i think alistair Locke did a brilliant job with it it's very much and you can feel it you can imagine it and particularly in the scenes when the tardis is materialized inside the where the gas bag is or whatever the term would be and um you can just hear it it's the sounds vast and echoey and all those creaks and squeaks it just sounds incredible and it's perfect. I mean, just even stuff like the yeah. the original script, um, you know, I've, which I've, I've got in front of me, when it's talking about the the announcer doing the newsreel, clipped nasal and painfully English, like he's sucking lemons. I mean, it's brilliant. <laughs> that absolutely sums him up. So, yeah, it's it's a rather a rather nice uh, intro to set the, the pace. What about Charlie? Were you guys taken with Charlie straight away? Oh yeah, it's just charming when you first meet her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. They really do click every, the two of them. Yeah. I mean, the way that every character is introduced is is just is just perfectly done, and you know, because I think it's clear that she's going to be the companion. I mean, I knew that she was obviously because you know, released in two thousand one. You know that Charlie's a companion, uh, but there's just something that that really shines, and she's just she's great from the off. When you're going, you know what? I really, I really, really like this character. Mm. And she's like longing for adventure, so you know she's not going to be a complete misery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's just something really, there's just something really joyful um, about that character, and um, yeah, she just every time that she's around and the interactions with all the other characters, and obviously the performance as well. The performance is exceptional. Everyone, everyone here is just cast superbly, and I haven't got any. It's just and everyone plays their part so well, you know. Uh, the villains, not not in a um, sort of like mustache twirling, you know, ridiculous way, but even the villains of just going, <laughs> they're so loathsome, but it works so well. And going back to Charlie, it's just yeah, she's an abs- just a sheer sheer delight, and every time that she's around, it just works. And those and they're just those moments uh, between her and the Doctor. It's uh, just yeah again this this works so going back to you know when this would have first come out in 2001 first time that we've had Paul McGann as the doctor since that one night in 1996 and just going yeah this this is great big finish have have got him back and this is going to work and it makes me wish that I'd been listening to these stories a a lot longer I really feel like I've really missed out all these years so it's great that I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm like I'm discovering uh, all this for the first time. So there's a delight, but it's just like, I wish I listened to this years ago. I could, yeah, 
in some ways, though, it's a good thing because it means you didn't have to put up with that painful 18-month wait between, or 17-month wait between June 2002 and November 2003 to find out the cliffhanger, to find out how it was resolved to Neverland. That was the worst wait ever. No, yeah, I can imagine. Uh, as a just as a side, because when I um, when I started getting to Blake Seven, it was the early 2000s. Funny enough, probably around about this time when uh, Storm Warning came out, BBC were repeating the first series uh, Saturday mornings. I was watching them and I just absolutely loved it. And then waiting, and then finally, a few years later, they got released on DVD. And you had to wait each year for the next one to come out. And I remember that cliffhanger to, at the end of season two having to wait a year, like the original viewers would have in 1980, yeah. waiting for C. <laughs> yeah, and I just, oh, that wait was painful. So yeah, I can imagine it would, yeah, it would be the same thing. I noticed a bit where he, um, his shoes are letting in water in the ballast, ta- ballast tanks. I was wondering, do you think those are Brian's shoes still? Oh, 100%. Yeah, definitely. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First thing that came to mind when I listened to that one, they're clearly Brian's shoes. That's a nice little, <laughs> nice little reference. Because I think when everyone talks about the TV series and they're talking about you know these these great moments of of the Eighth Doctor and Paul McGann's performance, I think everyone points to you know that moment when he's just going you know um, all about the lights and then just going these shoes what they fit so perfectly just the sheer delight of that and it's it's a standout moment for his Doctor. They're not watertight though. No, no, they're not. Um, so yeah, I think it was. I think it was a nice reference to that. It's funny you mention um, the shoes because in the action figure box for the Eighth Doctor triple pack, it mentions on the back um, the Doctor's outfits completed with a pair of black leather shoes taken from Grace Holloway's ex-boyfriend Brian. So it's, <laughs> See, so it's a big character moment. <laughs> I was wondering whether this guy is just like it understand. comes with swappable shoes. Uh, no, he doesn't. Yeah. He's got um, he's got a cool new waistcoat, and it looks it's in gold. But no, he, sadly the shoes are not swappable in this one. Yet. <laughs> I'm sure, that'd be a character option yet down the line. <laughs> I'll mention it. <laughs> uh, up here. Whoa! Shoot! I just dropped K9. Um, yeah, there's that. Uh, oh, there he is. I've just got him here. Um, yes, he's uh, got his. There you go. There's his, his, his shoes. They definitely fit perfectly. As you can see on the screen here, so yes. I've got to Sorry, admit, I've never really got many of the new toys. I've got a hell of a lot of dapples, um, and I got a few action figures from the um, maybe two thousand six to seven. Don't know if I've still got them, but um, yeah, I never really kind of went down that route getting getting the figures, and I don't well, know if or when to start. You need to go to B and M. I live next to one. Yeah. Well, there you go. There's a McGann triple pack on the way with mm. this one, a big finished Doctor, and it's Knight of the Doctor, the impossible to get Knight of the Doctor figure. Um, but you can find out all about how this pack came about in episode three point twenty eight of Pieces of Eight, uh, dropping on the second of September. I'm um, so pleased we're not playing a drinking game that every time that Kenny drops it out, I've got down a shot. <laughs> I would just like to mention a website yeah. that's called the Action Figure Theatre. Um, you may have seen it, but they do brilliant um, printable cardboard cutouts of like the, the of the TARDIS sets. Ooh. 
I'll, uh, I'll send you the link for that. Or, but it's 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 pretty amazing. Hold on. But you can get the the entire Eighth Doctor TV movie console printed out. I I need this. I'll need to use my work printer because it's top quality. Just don't tell them anybody. Yeah, it's. I look forward to that. But yeah, I do recommend the actual. You can recreate Storm Warning just with the, the the opening sequence, just with the Doctor and his own. Since obviously we don't have a Charlie figure, but um, yeah, he's, this the new version's got a gold waistcoat rather than silver, so it, it does make sense because I'm sure the costume would have evolved and yeah. such like. So yeah, it's very very good. Looks like he's going up my nose at this angle, <laughs> <laughs> or I've been CSO'd in behind him. It's very cool. This is not very good for an audio podcast. I do apologise. <laughs> I should know better. I'm going to put them down because I'm playing with action figures. is so distracting. Are you quite happy with that for episode one? Or you want a bit more? Because I could literally talk about Storm Morning all day, but I don't want to because... You need to get bed eventually. Bored. <laughs> I don't want to keep my wife awake for too long. Um. So... I'll go through the bullet points for the first episode. We've been through the the first half of that. Yeah, near the end, Charlie meets the Doctor, then Fraylin sees the Vortisaur outside. So there's this very creepy moment of something staring back at him from out in the, out in the storm. And then it comes in and attacks Rathbone. That's our cliffhanger for episode one. I love it. I think the fact that we've got the fact that it's a nasty character. Mm. getting chomped yeah. uh, I think that, that makes it all the more entertaining um, and I really like it I think it's uh, it's, a, it's a great episode although it's bizarre you'd think the first cliffhanger with the 8th Doctor would actually have the Doctor in peril but or Charlie but it's not it's one of the, the guest characters but yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's still a great cliffhanger it's just mm-hmm. the monster appears and that's just what you want mm-hmm Plus, also that the, the, there's the mystery of there's someone else in the room, and you don't know what that's about. So the, there's the the threat of the monster and the mystery of of the passenger. You know, what, yeah, of the passenger. Yeah. Mm. Um, Forty three. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, it, it is it is a very good cliffhanger. Um, it didn't take me too long to get into <laughs> listen to episode two. Put it that way. Mm. So in episode two, they burst into the room, and they get the vodka so off with coffee because it doesn't like the taste well, to be honest i can't blame it i love the smell of coffee can't stand the taste of the bloody stuff uh, would you like me to tell you about episode two According yes to please sleeve notes yes yeah yeah doctor who continuing this new adventure for paul began as the doctor storm warning part two of four the r101 is under attack the storm is breaking and the passenger in cabin 43 needs to see the doctor. So yes, I, I love it. I think the fact that we've got the mystery around the passenger and they're definitely not what you expect them to be, which is quite entertaining. Um, I think the fact you and we've got, of course, Helen Goldwyn, a complete stalwart, a big finish these days in an early acting role. And she's absolutely wonderful. She just sort of makes the character of the passenger very likable. Um, quite an ethereal performance. And um, 
I, I think the fact that she's got this instant rapport with Charlie, I think is great as well. Sort of, it helps make Charlie more likable because mm. we like her already. And the fact she quickly bonds with the passenger makes us like them as well. So I, I quite like that. I think it's a clever bit of writing again from Alan. Yeah, good dynamic. Yeah, and I, I did think the, the fact that she has a um, a connection with the passenger, I thought that was interesting. I thought it was, as you said, it worked incredibly well as a, as a means of introducing her character because it shows that, you know, she, she's likable and can be trusted. So it works on that level. But it was also, it was also a bit of a surprise because I think the obvious route would be, oh, the passenger has a connection with the doctor. And picks up how you know how good the doctor is would probably be the obvious way to do that. So it, it's it slightly subverts your expectations a little bit as well. So it has that uh, it it has that double whammy. It's it's really good in terms of introducing Charlie as the uh, as the the companion works very well there, but it keeps it keeps you as the listener engaged in the story because it's it's not following um, you know normal regular beats. So as you say, you know um, Alan's done a really good job with the writing again. Which I'm not surprised because you know <laughs> aware of his writing and you know he is very good at it and you just go yeah and as, as you as you pointed out Kenny I mean this was his this was his first wasn't it mm-hmm. um, first audio scripts yeah so clearly you know clearly very talented from the very beginning he's really hit the ground running with uh, with this story there's some interesting character dynamics there I, I, I like the relationship between Tamworth and Freelin. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not very clear who's going to be the main antagonist. Of course, like Tamworth's up to something, and Rathbone just seems like a bit of a henchman. But um, mm. that would all turn around by the end. Yeah, I think it is. Again, it's quite nicely set up that we suspect that um, Gareth Thomas and the character. The fact that I think there's almost like a bit of the class system coming in because we're almost expecting. Mm. Somebody who's a lord to be slightly more devious than uh, than somebody who's perhaps a little bit more middle class, as uh, Freeling evidently is, and that there's all that wonderful uh, stuff. But that's what comes of having uh, a grammar school education, and things like that. It's quite a it's quite a fun dynamic, um, and, you, and it, it does make Tamworth a little bit more dislikable. But as of course, if things go on, we discover he actually is. Perhaps he is a good guy, um, but I, I do like that dynamic. It's there's the bounce off each other well, and Rathbone is. We know that he's not a particularly pleasant character. The way that he's offering his protection to Charlie, mm-hmm. if, uh, if Charlie is um, nice and in inverted commas to him. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, there's some good dynamics with uh, with Weeks and Charlie. He's, he's yeah, a nice guy. Weeks is great. Um, yeah, felt really bad for him when he, when he went in episode four. Yeah, in fact, we get his backstory when he's talking about you know maybe take the Vortisor home for his kid. And, oh, that's um, tragic. Yeah, mm. that's never going to work out. So yeah, quite a, again, it's that Russell T Davis thing. Just the little character notes. It doesn't take a lot to establish somebody's got a bit of a backstory to them, and I quite like that. I think it's. It's not. We don't get to know too much about him, but we get sort of enough brush strokes to make him interesting and come off the page a bit more than your bland third guard in the left type of character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not heavy-handed. It's 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 again. It's it's written very deftly. Uh, it's not just you know you've got this 
uh, side character and then suddenly you have this it doesn't feel suddenly shoehorned in suddenly you've got to care for this character because we're just about to bump them off um it uh, it again it, it flow it flows very well mm. so again obviously that you know quality of the writing again actually the doctor and weeks had a nice scene together near the start of episode two when they went off to lure the vortisol mm-hmm. and he's given it his blood that's very near their norm for the old tony hancock gag getting mm. a run there i quite like that one of the better scenes is probably when uh, Tamworth thinks the Doctor's a spy. So we get all the inter- interactions there. Yeah, with uh, Johann Schmidt. And uh, and, uh, and, and you can tell Charlie's sort of initially going, what? And then picks up on very quickly. And mm. when he's saying Fräulein Pollard and things like that, yeah, it's, the, it's that classic Doctor Dodge thing where he can get talk himself out of trouble with... Uh, without too much effort and um, finds himself being welcomed aboard pretty much. Just, why didn't you say so? As being a spy for the the Zeppelin company. So uh, it's, a, again, a deft bit of writing from Alan, quite um, clever and it's, it's very, and it's fun as well. That's the great thing about it. This story has got so much fun, considering it's a serious matter. And the R101 did crash and a lot of lives were lost in the real world. But it, it makes it an entertaining ride along the way. Mm-hmm. So the R101's going towards a rendezvous. So it rises to 5,000 feet. Freelan didn't want this, so Tamworth just, just ignored him. Um, and they go up in the rendezvous with a flying saucer. So that's the, the cliffhanger for season for episode two. It's wonderful. It's completely unexpected, and the music as well. It's just great that diddly diddly and it's just it just sets it up perfectly. Because I remember first time listening to it, just thinking, I never expected that. What the hell is going on? And particularly when you visualise it, you think how big the R101 must have been, and then to think the spaceship's going to go all around it as well. Almost like the the opening episode of Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, to give it its correct title. Uh, apparently, it's still always going to be Star Wars to me. And um, when you've got the blockade runner being captured by the Star Destroyer, and so sort of, I, I image, imagine it in my mind's eye as being something like that. It definitely seemed big when they went inside in the next episode, like an endless yeah. void. Would you like me to tell you about episode three? Yes, please. Doctor Who, starring Paul McGann, Storm Warning, part three of four. While the Doctor makes a journey into the interior, Rathbone prepares to carry out his mission. You think, ooh, mission, what is his mission? Interesting. So, aboard the Flying Saucer, they they go outside and find a replica of the Moran Tower. Was it explained what it looked like inside the ship? Or was it just that it seemed to go on forever? Because I kind of visualised just like a white light. I'd always imagined it's being like a giant aircraft hangar, just absolutely massive, but metal and all mm. riveted together and um, just huge, just like a vast open aircraft hangar with nothing in the middle of it, apart from the replica of the docking station type thing at Cardington. And it's interesting how you visualise it, and I didn't see it like that at all. But yeah, it's, that's the wonders of audio. I don't want to see it. I don't want it ruined. Don't go and animate it, people, because then it means that there's a definitive version I like it when we all have our own interpretations of it all. Yeah. 
So the, the way that I pictured it was sort of, uh, funny enough, sort of in a, an odd way, mirroring the inside of the R101, but vast and obviously made of, of metal. Um, quite, I, I sort of pictured it quite dimly lit with you know, sort of like shadows. And then when they were talking about how everything, everything is constructed in a way where it moves around the people, um, having a sort of shimmery quality to it, so it, it doesn't feel quite tangible. Uh, I'd always pictured it as being like a like a round metallic platform, and then everything around them like twists, like a kaleidoscope or something like that, and it would. That's pretty cool. You see, like lots of metal here, and interesting how we all visualise it. <laughs> it's, it's great. That's the wonders of all our own interpretations. Charlie did reveal that she was going to meet someone at the Singapore Hilton. Yes, a nice wee character note that, um, and it's of course something that is picked up on further down the line. I don't know if it was originally intended to be, but it does give her a, a reason to be travelling. So it's, it's kind of cute as well, the fact that um, Charlie has a, and it was quite unusual for a companion at the time to have a romantic interest. Again, you put it in context, didn't really see, well, Mel didn't particularly have an interest in boys. Ace didn't at that point either. Um, and yeah, it was, it was quite interesting the fact that here's somebody who's actually real, believable, and has emotions and has an interest in pursuing a romantic interest, mm. which is something that, you know, put it into context now is like, so what? But in 2001, this was completely new and, uh, and it was rather, rather exciting. I didn't initially take it as necessarily a romantic interest, more that um, she was just trying to make make a point and just get there, just have a date. But even their companion going on a date is at this time was like, what? How unusual! Yeah, that's true. But it it also um, again it complements the doctor because I think of. You know, Paul McGowan was really the first properly romantic doctor that, you know, that, that we had. Uh, I mean, one, he looked Byron-esque, but, you know, the, the fact that, my God, he kissed a woman, shock horror, uh, you know, the TV movie. Uh, so the, the fact that, you know, you've got this romantic doctor, but you've got someone who is from the early 20th century and quite romantic as well. So, you know, again, it, 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 it's, it's, it's really good because it's sort of like there's... They're not exactly mirror images, as I'm not saying that, but they're, you know, they're aspects of their personality which complement each other. We didn't get any kissing in the episode. No audible smooching. I think people were expecting no. that. Were you disappointed? <laughs> Gutted. Gutted. I would kiss Cynthia Fisher all day long. Don't tell her I said that. Don't tell my wife I said that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just text her now and apologise. <laughs> in advance. We get a bit of a backstory. Tamworth tells the Doctor of how they found the engineer. They were interrogating it, um, maybe like borderline torturing it. Mm. And then we get this character of Madame, Madame Zelda. Not to be confused with the one from Terra Hawks. Yeah, I think it's it some really good stuff here. The fact we've got some world building again. And the fact that, you know, they've got their own culture, the Triskelion. Um, talking about um, like Tamworth Lord and Zelda Madame and and just sort of mix of names switching around to Doctor the 
that sort of thing. And Charlie, I wonder what Charlie says. Um, and there's one for the kids of the 80s and 70s. Um, yeah, it's it's a great, um, it's, it's a really interesting fact. We've, we found out, you know, the, the background to the Triskelion and the fact that they're sort of a three-part race, um, all sort of... Um, Controlled by the un by the by their leader, and then you've got the uncreators, and yeah, it's it's a very very interesting concept to the fact that an alien race been split in three with a controlling intelligence, and then you've got one part all brain, one part all brawn, and it's again it's it's quite a nice, clever sort of different alien from the sort that we're used to in TV, where it's the case of we will destroy you, Doctor kind of aliens stuff. Mm. This is one that I've actually got a, a brain and brawn separated. Mm. Really like it, with the lawgiver ruling over them. What do you think yous would be selected for? Uncreator, engineer, or lawgiver? Well, assuming I would be selected in the first place. Oh, I'd like to think I'd be a lawgiver because I'm because of my accumulated wisdom over the years. But no, I think um, given my my shoulders, I'd probably end up as being an uncreator, even though I wouldn't really want to be. I'd far rather be a be an engineer, but I was rubbish at maths, so I couldn't design my way out of a house ever. So no, I'd probably end up as probably an uncreator. But that's all right, you get smashed things up, which doesn't really happen that often. Yeah, I think I don't think I'd get selected. <laughs> Yeah, I think everyone has just gone, you selected Liam, you're a massive disappointment, uh, passenger. You've mucked up. Yeah, I don't think. I'm talking of mucking up, it looks like Tamworth mucked up in his selection process as the, they decided that Rathbone would probably be a a better log, a representative of the uncreators than Tamworth, given mm. that he sort of expresses his doubts and things about mm. war and and such that like so it's quite a there's a nice little twist in the tail there and we think oh dear mm. when uh, we find um rathbone leaving the r101 with a bunch of soldiers and armed and there's a little bit of death so rathbone arrives it's the uncreator prime who's controlling him to shoot tamworth but uh, Rathbone resists and shoots the uncreator. So he's got kind of a strong will there. Yeah, we can tell he's a bad one, that Rathbone. And um, yeah, as I think it's when he, and again, it's Helen Goldwyn doing a great job playing all the three parts of the Triskelion. Mm. But it's just, I have to, I still laugh when you hear the sound of um, the lawgiver being shot and it's just that, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> And then it's just dead, and you hear a thump, and just think, "Oh, I, I still laugh. I'm, I'm, I'm grinning ear to ear right now." Even just thinking about just that thud. <laughs> so, so all the uncreators are unleashed. So that brings us to episode four. Indeed, Doctor Who, concluding this adventure with Paul McGann as the Doctor. Storm warning, part four of four. The R101 flies into history, but will the Doctor and Charlie go out in a blaze of glory? So then we get uh, the characters roaring at the uncreators. Rawr. 
<laughs> yeah, which was great. Uh, and we also get a, a reference to the film Network, which was nice. What was that? Um, oh, I'm going to get the quote wrong now. Um, oh, Kenny, what, what's the quote again? Uh, scream like hell and tell them you're not going to take it anymore. Uh, no, that's completely wrong. Um, I got it when I listened if, to it. It's not a scream if you want to go faster. Hang on a minute. I'm just thinking, <laughs> do we have? That was Jerry Hallowell. <laughs> um who's also one of my favourites. Hang on a minute, I'm just finding it here. Du, 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 du. On your feet, no, 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 no. Need to be oh, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. That's it. That's it. Yeah. There we go. That's a, it's a nice subtle reference. Because mm-hmm. it yeah, it's it's one of those references which work because it works within the context of the you know what what's going on. But if you like you know sort of like if you just got I get the reference, uh, it's it's just you know it's quite nice. So it, it is it is really nicely done. But again, that's a the whole thing of just you know pretending to be violent by roaring at these things, and because they haven't fought for so long, they're not used to it, and so it scares them off. Again, that's a nice little subversion because you would have thought that you know people would be shooting themselves out and it turns into aliens or something like that with there with all the guns and everything mm. but it doesn't it's just 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 go and it scares them off which is quite funny as well so uh uh so yeah i, I did quite like that you should try that in real life one day yeah. <laughs> yeah see if it works pick a fight with someone in the big market rather than <laughs> it scares them <laughs> off the uncreator had a I weapon that's more like prelings. It's quite good. It's quite good fun that way. But yeah, it's a really good scene. The fact that it's unleashing yourself and just um, sometimes letting off a little bit of steam is a good thing. I think yeah. that's the bottom line here. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a good it's a good scene. And, Particularly, it moves things on, and we see that the uncreators maybe aren't quite as scary as we thought. Mm-hmm. They're all talk, yeah. So the uncreators had that weapon. It was like a Triskelion. Was it a necklace or something? Or I was pictured as being like a little pyramid of power, pulsing and can discharge. That's the way I've always seen it in my mind. I visualized it as something quite flat that just kind of opens up to something larger. Some kind of handheld uh, weapon. <laughs> did you visualize it, Liam? I did, but I, I can't remember. To be honest, I can't remember how I actually visualized that. I need to listen to the st- story again. Sorry, I can't, I can't remember how I visualized it. So Tamworth put up a good fight with the uncreator, didn't he? Yeah, it's, you can tell that uh, you can imagine him having been a boxer in his younger days and uh, unleashing his fists of fury upon the uncreator prime and just showing it who's boss. And uh, yeah, he's, uh, he sets himself up as a lawgiver quite nicely. The fact that he's, with his life experience as well, that he's willing to show them who's the daddy, quite frankly. I don't think that phrase has ever been used in connection with Lord Tamworth before. <laughs> not. But let's go with it. Yeah. We should call him, daddy? Let's call him Daddy Tamworth from now on. Daddy Tamworth. Daddy Tam. Okay. So Tamworth becomes the lawgiver and offers to stay. Who? Do you mean, oh, lo- you mean lo- Daddy Tamworth? Sorry. Give him his right. Daddy name. Tamworth. 
he's the law. He stays behind. Um, but reluctant to be the lawgiver, he says he'll offer his advice. And he kind of goes off with him. So we've got some kind of mysterious, like, cocoon or close encounters end and, like, where they're going. <laughs> so back aboard the R101, um, they've started up the engines, they've returned, and Freelin and Rathbone are sharing victory because they've got the stolen weapon. And the Doctor paints quite a bleak image of what the future could be like if humanity has this weapon. But yeah, the Doctor just nicks it in there and runs off, so Rathbone chases after him. So we go back into, is it the empty cavern inside the airship where they have their final confrontation? They're back inside those steel ribs and the girders and climbing around inside and yeah, inside all the gas bags and the gas tanks as well that keep us up in the air. So yeah, it's quite a, you can imagine this would be quite a really good scene to watch visualised as they're sort of skirting around this, I can imagine it as being a sort of big leather gas bags and you can hear like the, the hissing sound as everything escapes and yeah, I think it, it would be, a, it would have looked really good on TV yeah. having a Having a bit of a fisticuff, a bit of fisticuffs as the energy weapons discharged throughout. Imagine if it was filled with helium. <laughs> <laughs> right now, I'm wondering what I would sound like in helium with my voice dropping down here. It would probably sound about normal, but uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, that would have been good, but I don't know if they can fly with helium that yeah. much, but a hell of a lot would be required. <laughs> Or it could be worse, it could be methane. <laughs> Always wanted to raise the tone, me. Now that's a big bit of audio adventure I want to listen to. Well, <laughs> that's more Stadine, wouldn't it? Mm. <laughs> so Rathbone's got an axe, I think. So he, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, so he's slashing up the hull of the airship. And then he just falls to his death. Does good he? riddance to bad rubbish. Yeah. Yes, he does. He plummets to his death. He's um, got the axe, and they, I think he overbalances and plummets towards the ground. And there's nobody there to save him. So, yeah, he's a, he's a bit of a nasty man, and uh, he gets everything that he deserves. Going splat on the ground. I hope he was. A, I hope he went splat over a very large area because he's not a nice man. Not at all. And then the cows came along and ate him. <laughs> he survived the fall. Then he got eaten. No, it'd be pigs, wouldn't it? Pigs would eat anything. I don't like pigs. Pigs are scary. Mm. Even pepper fruit. They're scary. smarter than dogs, but... supposedly. Or could be eaten by Alsatians. Mm. If you're a Bridget Jones fan. But yes, it's a, it's a good death scene. And then it's obviously... Um, it's quite good when the Doctor and Charlie make their getaway as Ramsey, the Vortisaur, well, the Vortisaur, who's not been named yet, appears there and um, takes them to safety. So it's quite a, it's a different way of ending it. And again, it's one of those ones that'd be hard to visualise um, how it would have looked in one second when you look at Die Another Day CGI, and that was a year later. But yeah, it's one that <laughs> works best in the minds. It works best yeah. in the minds year, that one. And it, that's not with uh, the benefit, you know, with uh, advancing technology. The CGI of Die Another Day looked crap in 2002. It, mm-hmm. it really did. I, sorry, it just triggered a memory because I remember when it came out on DVD, um, made of mine bought it and me and a couple of mates have 
some point went down to his. Anyway, you've got to watch this. And there's a bit of the special features on the DVD where you have some of the production team talking about the CGI and how the water looked fantastic and realistic and all the icebergs were great. And we were just pissing ourselves laughing. Because we just got <laughs> it looks awful. I haven't yeah, seen it since uh, then, probably. So I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> looked great back then. <laughs> <laughs> no, it didn't. Were you blind back then or did you not have glasses back then? <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't have them. Um, I got glasses that in hmm, maybe 2011, and no, no, you got them. Probably got them in 2002 after this film came out. Maybe, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I remember leaving the opticians, and it, it was my wife who, who kind of suggested I go. And I noticed myself getting more and more short-sighted. Like, couldn't watch the telly, and that that moment walking out of the opticians, like seeing the clouds, see it was amazing. It's a surreal day. Like I was looking, I was just staring at houses, looking at like brickwork. You could see the DL. But yeah, looking looking at the horizon stuff was like unreal. Nothing ever beats that feeling of um, sleeping with your contact lenses and then waking up in the morning and going, I'm cured. And then you realize, oh no, my eyes are all sticky. Oh, yuck. Oh. <laughs> but yes, I, I think it's um, going back to storm warning. Talking of sticky, well, obviously we've talked about Rathbone ending up in a sticky puddle. Um, we do have the the final moments on board the R101 as poor old Freeling and the crew go down with their sinking ship. Like a very Titanic um, moment. Yeah, it is, isn't it? And even like the the bit of music that Alistair Locke did for the the theme for the R01, the R101. Um, there is sort of like echoes of the of my heart will go on, which was completely unintentionally said when I spoke to him about it back in two thousand and one for the fanzine, and um, yeah, it's, it's it's quite a nice wee theme that, and uh, then we get that wonderful final scene after the Doctor and Charlie land. So the Doctor's pretty concerned about Charlie because he's done a head count of the dead, and he's kind of concluded that she shouldn't be alive. But then Ramsey has a Ramsey seems to like her, so yeah, he's not that bad. Yeah, well, he's a vortisol with taste, but yeah, I think um, it's a great scene that because little did realise what was going to come because you just think, oh, this is something that'll be sorted out and you know further down the line, and it's probably just a temporary thing, but um, or temporal thing, um, but it's a really nice sort of touch, setting up a story arc, even though we don't actually realise it at the time. And just think, oh, it's one of those things that will just be forgotten about, or it's just that will be dealt with in like two lines or something like that in another story further down the line. But oh no, it's not because one day, so Grace will sit inside your head, so Grace will live among the dead, so Grace will see you in your bed and eat you when you're sleeping. I'm doing this while I've got the voice for it. So. <laughs> yeah. I do apologise. No, it sounds great. It's, this is going to be the best sounding podcast we've ever had. So <laughs> I apologise. Um, even though apparently he's supposed to look like uh, Ramsey MacDonald, I'm still having difficulties picturing the damn thing. It's like, how does it maybe look like Ramsey MacDonald? Is it the moustache? Maybe he's got hair coming out of his ears. I don't know. Tufts of it. Happens to old fellas. So I think that's it. Um, do you want to do a quiz? Always. Always. Well, how about you go up against each other and also the listeners can play along as well? 
Um, so if if you want to go to cloisterbellpodcast.com forward slash storm quiz, and you can bring that quiz up. So Lee, how are we doing this, Rob? Are you asking each of us a question, or is it just I think the answer? Would you be able to do this on your own phones if I sent you the link? I've got it here in front of me. I can do it on my laptop. Oh, brilliant. Okay. It's on the website now, or I can send you the link. Now, forgive me if these questions are rubbish or easy. I'm going to guess the answer to one will be 43. <laughs> I may have given the answer away to my rival, but we'll find yeah, it. Yeah, I just go, oh yeah, I forgot the door number. <laughs> You're a good sport. So the first question, I'm not sure if I've properly sourced how to word this. Um, Kenny, you might know better, but what element from McGann's first four stories was later, well, I've put criticised by the BBC. I think it was an issue that was raised with BBC licensing, possibly. What issue... I didn't actually notice until um, Stones of Venice came out. Right, okay. Yeah, what, what about those first four stories was changed um, for subsequent releases? Did Paul McGann sound too Liverpudlian? Was it the episode length? Was it the logo on the CD covers? Or was the content too mature? Is this one for me? Will I go first? Um, you Don't tell me, but tick the box. Oh, okay. And the listeners will play along too. Yeah, I've had to guess at this one because uh, <laughs> no idea. And you are just playing for honour. Actually, uh, let, let's raise the stakes a bit. Um, on our website, we have a, a little currency called Cloisterbell Coins. And um, I think maybe we'll, we can play for those. At the moment, you can spend your coins. And, and one thing is uh, Liam will sing happy birthday if you've got 10,000 of them. I'm not happy with this, Rob. You're not happy with this. But there is, there is other things that you can redeem me. Yeah, coins for. But um, yeah, he's up playing for 10,000 coins. Mark Cockrum at the All Time and Space will be insanely jealous because he really wants Liam to sing him Happy Birthday. Yeah, I saw that on Twitter. I went, oh, great. We can't redact that now. <laughs> so, question two What year does this story take place? 1885, 1901. 1915 or 1930? That one's easy. I was paying attention to the story, so I know. <laughs> Question three. Storm Warning was McGann's first story returning to the role. But which other story seemingly took place immediately after the events of the TV movie? The Eight Doctors, The Dying Days, Endgame or Mary's Story? the answer to this one can be found in an upcoming episode of Pieces of Eight. <laughs> but it's not out yet, so time is on your side. <laughs> Who designed the cover for Storm Warning? Lee Binding, Bob Ross, Lee Sullivan, or Clayton Hickman? Which eighth Doctor story comes after Storm Warning? I think I should have phrased that differently because they all come after. Which one 
comes out immediately after it. The Chimes of Midnight, The Stones of Venice, Sword of Orion, or Blood of the Daleks. Ready for the next question? Always. Near the beginning beginning of the story, which actor is talking on the radio about the R101? David Tennant, Mark Gatiss, Gareth Thomas, or Nicholas Pegg? The Doctor flips an Alterian dollar, which is currency from which book? War and Peace, The I Spy Book of British Birds, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, or The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Can I just say this question make me smile because I see where you've sourced those answers from. They're yeah. very, very good. Thanks. What alias does the Doctor use in the story? John Smith, The Oncoming Storm, Wild Bill Hickok, or Johann Schmidt? Two questions to go. Which Agatha Christie book does the Doctor find on board the TARDIS? The Murder of Roger Ackroyd? Murder on the Orient Express? Was it The Unicorn and the Wasp? Or Death on the Nile? Ready for the final question? Hit me with your rhythm stick. (laughs) (laughs) Which of these statements is a real-world fact? The R101 only had a crew of 20 on its final flight. The R101 never actually crashed. Eight people survived the crash of the R101. Or were there reported sightings that claimed to have seen the R101 entering a flying saucer? And you can all submit your answers there. And we'll see how you did. Am I allowed to see um, wh- how many did you get out of 10? Would it surprise you if I got 10 out of 10? Uh, not at all. I got 10 out of 10. I'm very pleased. So did I. I'm happy with that. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. I don't know what we do in the event of a tie break. Oh, no, I'm just um, double checking because I'm surprised I've <laughs> supposedly got all those right. Hang on. I'm more than happy to share the spoils of war. Yes, I did. Yeah, I, I thought it was. I thought against Kenny, I was going to do disastrously bad. Yeah. Oh, well done. I, I, I must have literally listened to this story at least a hundred times because I love it so much. I listened to it um, driving in Arizona when I went there on holiday in two thousand and one. Drove up to Las Vegas, so it was effectively driving the length of Britain in a day. And my mate Jonathan came with me and he got hammered the night before we were due to come back from Las Vegas to drive back down. And uh, so I listened to that whole first McGann season in the car that we'd hired a Ford Taurus. Jonathan, not a Doctor Who fan, he had to listen to every last second of these four <laughs> first plays from Big Venetia. So get it up to Jonathan. <laughs> That's my revenge for not having a conversation with me because you were too hungover. I'm not petty. No, not, not at all. Look at the impression. <laughs> Did he enjoy any of it? No, because he was half asleep most of the time. So. Oh, okay. But I did. Uh, I remember uh, this was when I was a, a teenager and uh, I was going on a, a day trip uh, with my grandparents. I was uh, like obsessively into Pink Floyd. So... 
when we were on the journey there, I had the because uh, I've recorded on cassette, uh, Dark Side of the Moon and Wish You Were Here. And that was fine. Not necessarily their thing, but, you know, it's melodic, it's fine. On the way back, animals. And uh, I've always got this about the memory. It's the first time I, my grandfather had ever seen him really, really angry. Hated that album. And I went, well, clearly you're not enjoying this. So I was going to take the cassette out, but my grand... I don't think my grand was enjoying it either, but it was because it's just like, you know, being being a loving grand. It's like, no, he wants to listen to it, so we're going to listen to it. <laughs> oh, he was in a foul mood. I always remember that. So that that's my... <laughs> that's Yeah, that's my uh, travelling story of putting something on and the, the passenger's not enjoying it. Music's almost as divisive as Doctor Who. Mm. <laughs> I, actually, that, that brings another memory. Uh, uh, this was when I was in year seven. No, hang, year seven or eight. And uh, it was in uh, French lessons. Do you remember Miss Dixon, Rob? Yeah. Yeah, it was... Uh, I in don't, her, you oh, remember. Right, <laughs> I don't know who Miss Dixon is. Um Anyway, it was in her lesson, Rob, and uh, me and uh, we were just talking about music. And uh, I just happened to, all what I said was, because they were talking about Eminem. And I went, I'm not really, I I'm, don't particularly like Eminem. That's all I said. It wasn't my thing. Then immediately after that lesson, it was, uh, our it was uh, the first break of the day. And uh, one of the other lads called Adam, who was in that uh class came up to me during the break and he went I heard what you said about Eminem and if I ever hear you say that again I will knock your block off and he just walked away it's like wow the powerful taste of music <laughs> yeah so uh, I think it was safe to say he was a very passionate fan of Eminem <laughs> I very very rarely bring music up mm. at work I'll never play any of my music well mainly because when I listen back to it, it'll remind me of being at work. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think I could stand anyone saying this is crap. Yeah, it's it's. I think you know we say don't talk about religion and politics to people. My experience, people just yeah, whatever. <laughs> talk about music. Oh, people really get fired up. So, but as you said, you know, uh, Doctor Who can be quite quite divisive as well. Oh, the fuck! Well, it's not really. It's the case of um, do I like it? Yes. Do I not like it? No. Mm. Therefore, I win, and everybody should like what I like. I know best. I am biased, and I am right. Everyone is entitled to my opinion, as Madonna once said. <laughs> yeah. I'm being ironic. I'll just clarify. It's not every day we get a Madonna quote on uh, on this podcast. I think we're missing out. Yeah, make it a bit every week. <laughs> Yeah, just drop in random Madonna quotes every podcast or lyrics. As long as you're not going to say, put your hands all over my body on a regular basis. <laughs> Tempted to now, but no. This is a classy podcast and we will avoid that. <laughs> yeah, a typical Scottish person lowering the tone. <laughs> we asked for listener feedback on the story. Um, we only got two. James said, other than the sheer joy of McGann being back, it was the free first episode with Doctor Who magazine ending on a cliffhanger that actually having to wait to hear what happened next. That quirk of the release made it all so much more authentic. Oh, absolutely. 
I think I know what you mean. It's just you had that cliffhanger. You had to wait for the next episode to come along. Mm. It was an absolute nightmare. I hated having to wait for that CD release. Lee said, "Big Finish's pre-Megan releases were excellent. Um, top draw stuff. The Colin Baker Renaissance in particular. However, it was with the Doctor and Charlie uh, range that really took off." For me, this run from Storm Warning up to Neverland over two series has never been bettered. I'm a massive fan. A lot of people have got their favourite 8th Doctor era. Very hard to pick one. If you mm. had to, Rob, if I had a gun to your head and said, pick one, damn it. Uh, what, yeah, what is your favourite era? It's a tough one. I like the Doctor and Lucy. I don't... My experience of that is a little bit fragmented because there's a few of the CDs I just don't have. Um, so I need to get around to finishing all those. Kelly, pick your... <laughs> pick your... Shut up on the floor. Are you shocked? <laughs> My flabber is ghasted. You have not heard all mm. the Lucy Millers. If I didn't... If, see, if you told me beforehand that you'd not heard all the Lucy Millers, I would not have agreed to do this podcast. No. I cannot believe that. That is my writer. You must listen to everything Sheridan Smith has ever done. Ever. Mm. No, I'm joking. Um, well, yes, it's a very, very hard choose. To mm. pick a favourite um, Megani audio era. Um, I love this era because it got me all excited and loving Dorothy again. But because I love Sheridan Smith so much, she just nudges it and um yeah i'm just going to just i mean we're talking like a hair's breadth um lucy just ahead of charlie but only just i quite like live lips good yeah but she's not lucy she's not lucy what, uh, what, what do you think of molly oh i love molly i absolutely love molly i think she's I love her. The character's balls. She's just so brassy and just um, the tardy box. Just yeah, I think she's she's. I think she's very underrated. I think a lot of people forget about Molly. Um, my um, pieces of eight pal Becca is a huge, huge Molly fan. I think that's her favourite companion, if I remember correctly. So yeah, it's uh, it's a. I love Dark Eyes. It's such a good series. And just I, I love the first one in particular. Um, yeah, I remember we were at one of the big finish tables and they were they were asking, so oh, what did you think of Dark Eyes? Because I think Series 4 had just came out. Um, and yeah, I, I just said, oh, it was great. I didn't want to give too much criticism because it's like it's like you're you've got a famous you've got a favorite artist and they bring out a new album and it's just not the same. And the other series didn't emulate the first and I really felt a bit shortchanged with how much of Molly we got. And then, I'll not spoil too much stuff for Liam, but we got an older version of a character in the in the fourth series. I, I don't know what, maybe something, she wasn't available or something on behind the scenes and we just didn't get enough of Ruth Bradley near the end of that. Um, I don't know. The whole thing was good. Yeah, here's an annoying fact. Um, I don't know if you ever saw the BBC Scotland series Guilt, which has got Mark Bonner in it. And the first yeah. series had Ruth Bradley in it. And the, the, there was basically, there was Peter Brothers and the accidentally kill an old man outside his house. 
and the scenes outside his house were shot about a mile and a half from where I live, which is a bit annoying because I know Mark Bonner and they were doing quite nice to go down and say hello to him on set, but also in the cast was Ruth Bradley. So Molly O'Sullivan was about a mile and a half from my house and I never bloody knew it. I was livid when I found out. Have <laughs> you got a favourite dog, guys? Box set? I think probably, I mean, it's difficult. It's picking between a favourite child. That's why I've only got one daughter. And so, I mean, I've got a favourite child straight away. And also a least favourite. Um, but I think it's hard to see past one because that's the one that sort of rebooted things and set everything up. Mm. And um, it pretty much changed the way Big Finish were doing things after that in terms of creating box set format. So we'll go with the original. But it's very hard to pick because I love three because Matt Fitton's done a great job in that one. Completely different tone and feel. Two's got a really good mix again, and four is just a wonderful apocalyptic mix. So I'll say one because I was the one that kicked it all off, but that's a diplomatic answer. Yeah, I think I'd feel the same. I think Liam's got a long way to go. I have, yeah, but what, one of the great things of, of coming to Storm Warning, as I said, because I purchased it ages ago. Uh, but only really got, got around it listening now, which, yeah, is uh, it's quite shocking. But one of the things, it does, it, I mean, it, it's one of those things as well. It, it's difficult to, to find the time for, for, for everything because, you know, you've got, um, you know, you've got you've got work, then you're, you're catching up with family, then you've got friends. And then when it comes to things like this, you've got, well, I can't watch all the all the, the films and read all the books and all the rest of it. So it is tricky filling in that time uh, and then. As we know, Big Finish has a huge amount of material. I mean, one thing that that, that Rob uh, knows, Kenny, is that one of the things that I really love about Big Finish is their Blake 7 range in particular. Um, um, but with their recent releases, I need to catch up on, catch up on that as well. Um, so there's all that. But one thing that this has definitely spurred me on to do is get into the Paul McGann adv- adventures in particular. So and not just but you know so not just in the case of the uh, the podcast for, but for for pleasure, so uh, it would be you know spur me on. So when when it, if we ever do uh, have another conversation, Kenny, and, and certainly with Rob, hopefully the next time we do do it, uh, I'll be a bit more clued up and we can talk a bit more beyond storm warning and chimes of midnight and one or two others. It'll be you know a bit like I've listened to more and these are my thoughts about them, but. Uh, yeah, this is this is a phenomenally good start, and um, I know I'm in for a treat. So you are, I can guarantee it. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should keep that momentum going and do another one soon, then, Liam. Yeah, I'll definitely be up for that. Uh, but one thing, in fact, actually, I'm going to I'm going to do that now because because what's the next one? Sort of Orion. Yeah. Because uh, again, I bought that a while back. I'm going to download that now and listen. Start listening to that tomorrow. Oh, cool. All available for two ninety nine from the Big Finish website, www.bigfinish.com. And you can find them for an absolutely bargain knockdown price. That's nothing. Yeah. One thing I was thinking I probably wouldn't have got was the Time Lord Victorious vinyl, which was getting in Asda exclusive, the Echoes of Extinction. And I was, I was thinking, I can't remember when it was due to come out. It may have been the October or November um so i was looking ahead on my work rotor i thought i'm gonna have to go in every morning to look for it and if they haven't got it i'll, I'll i'm gonna go with this other asda which was quite a quite a far distance away um then 
we were hit with lockdown and it was subsequently released by Big Finish itself and then just put on Amazon. So that was fortunate that I was able to get it that way. Yeah, it is great. I mean, there's no CD extras with that, unfortunately, but um, there's a certain podcast, which is a chat with Alfie Shaw about the Eighth Doctor's side. What podcast is that, Kenny? It's called Pieces of Eighth. Strange all right Earth. okay not heard of that one before mm, i'll check right. that one out i'd recommend it you can find it on twitter at pieces of eight you know what i haven't read yet the the final time lord victorious book i i know after that cliffhanger in the first one with... <laughs> interesting because um we we dramatized or we did a reading of the of the cliffhanger of the first book leading into the... I had to read that twice. It was so good. Complete with the music on it is, and it leads in perfectly to the final audio. It's, um, it's quite good fun. I was, even did sound design, did, I did Dalek voices for it and everything. It's great fun doing Dalek voices. We've never done the Dalek voices on here, have we, Liam? Uh, no, no, we haven't. There's some really good settings to be found on Audacity if you have a... If you have a look in the YouTube, there's a tutorial showing you how to set Dalek voices oh, up. Get on that, Liam. It's really, really good. So we did a poll. How would you rate Storm Warning? And I think you've, you've both already seen the results by now. Results are in. 68% good. 31 average. Zero bad. That's good. People have taste. Those who said average are wrong. It's very, very yeah. good. But that wasn't an option. But yeah, is, this is probably my favourite Big Finish release ever. Even ahead of Chimes. I just love it so much. How would you have felt if the majority was bad? I, then I would have shot everybody. <laughs> or beaten them up with a baseball bat. He's styly. Yeah. Or roared at them. And that's, not, <laughs> that's not an overreaction. Not at all. Yeah. I'm Scottish. I'm very calm, under pressure. <laughs> that's the Braveheart uh, sequel we didn't have I will fight for Big Finish coming soon from Big Finish Productions Braveheart 2 this time it's Scottish <laughs> well I think that concludes everything about Storm Warning that we had planned is there anything more you want to talk about I know we'll have kept you for a good few hours there Kenny it's been fun. I'm just hoping that my wife's not being kept awake by my insane witterings. No, I've um, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's I say it's my big favourite big finish, and it's always a joy to talk about it. It's um, I did I did a chat with another podcast to mark 20 years of it um, last year, or was it this year? I think it was last year. Um, and I, I just it means a lot to me, and it's always a joy. So I'm very grateful that. You um, kindly asked me along to have a chat with you guys today and thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, thank you for coming on and sharing your memories of that. It's really good. And thanks for your time. Yeah, yeah, pleasure. Thank, yeah thanks very much for your time. And it, it's been a great pleasure. Uh, uh, <laughs> no pressure. I'd like to get you back on again. It's, it's been great. I have got a question for you. It might be a bit tricky to answer, but um, one of the things with, with Big Finishes, because they've been going for years and there's a huge amount of material, and I think anyone coming, it's, it's been said quite a while that people coming to Big Finish for the first time can find it very daunting. If you were to recommend 
anything as a starting point? What would, you know, for anyone who hasn't listened to Big Finish yet or, you know, is, is thinking about it, what, what would you recommend or suggest? I think there's three obvious jumping on points um, in terms of where Big Finish go. I think Storm Warning is perfect because it starts off, you've got the Doctor and the TARDIS mm-hmm. and you know what they are. So there we go. Blood of Daleks, another easy jumping on point. Uh, very easy to go with. It's, here's a doctor travelling solo. Who's this person who's arrived in the ship? At first you think it's his companion who's been there all the time and then we discover, no, she's not. And I'd say pretty much any of the Tenth Doctor audios are very easy jumping on points as well as, as characters are established and they're known to fans of the new series. Mm-hmm. And it's an easy way to get into audio drama. It can seem overwhelming. It can, but um, I think once you get the hang of it yeah. and understand what audio drama is and you realise it's movies been, TV episodes have been painted in your mind's eye, then you're off and running. Well, what, I think it does take a wee while to maybe get the hang of it if you're not used to radio or audio drama, but once you get it, then, oh my God, your life is going to be so much better with it. Yeah, 100% agree. Oh, well, I, th- I think we'll say goodbyes, but uh, yes, you'll definitely have to come on if you want... Liam to sing you happy birthday one day because you've had to share the loot today. You're only halfway there. Well, you've got to wait till next June then, so you've got plenty of time to get that singing voice warmed up and ready. <laughs> what I'll say is, um, I remember in primary school, I was a member of the drama group, and the, uh, we did a first. Do you remember this, Rob? The North Pole goes rock and roll. Um, what year was this? What school oh, I can't remember. Sometime when we were in primary school, back in the 90s. Oh, anyway, yes, I do remember this. <laughs> anyway, there, there was a bit of this this uh, school play that we were doing where we had all the, the kids at the back of the stage and singing. And uh, this was during the, uh, the rehearsal. And then one of the teacher was just saying, right, stop, someone's too bassy and it sounds awful. Just going through every single one and I was right at the end and it turned out it was me and it was just this horrible bassy noise and I'm, I'm still a primary school kid so so yeah I'm not I'm not the world's greatest singer and I've never have been well I'm all about the bass no trouble <laughs> oh let me try to put you off well yeah so if anyone wants a really odd monotone bassy rendition of happy birthday then you know <laughs> then you know what to do. Fuck yourselves out and get those coins. Yeah. Start earning. Well, thank you very much and I wish you well and maybe you'll be back on. Maybe you won't. Maybe you've had enough of us. Oh, I'm always available. I'm always available. It doesn't next time I guarantee I won't sound like this. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> I can always speak it up in audacity. Yeah. yeah. Get the Daleks on next time. Oh, well, uh, thank you very much. We'll uh, speak to you soon, hopefully. Goodbye. And thanks for listening, everyone. Um, Just do a quick mention, go to the website, cloisterbellpodcast.com, check out um, all other podcasts, links to social, and some Eighth Doctor games, too. Bye, everyone. Bye, take care. Bye-bye. Cloister Bell. Imminent disaster. 
The cloister bell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh, no.